What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. This episode is brought to you by three awesome Bitcoin companies. The first is Shift Crypto, makers of the Bitbox O2 Bitcoin-only hardware wallet. If you're just getting started with Bitcoin, I highly recommend you take custody of your coins. And this is a very easy to set up and easy to use option. If you're a bit more experienced or if you're looking for another wallet to round out your multi-sig mix, I highly recommend you check it out. It's got a lot of great features and it integrates with some of the best multi-sig wallets and nodes out there. So if you'd like to learn more, go to shiftcrypto.ch forward slash rapid fire. Get yourself 5% off. And from December 14th to the 26th, with each order, you get the little Bitcoin book and a personalized Christmas card for free. So they're trying to help you take care of some of your gift giving this holiday season. Next up is the Bitcoin 2022 conference. The 2021 conference was incredible. It's going to be even bigger this year. They're going from 13,000 people to 35,000 people capacity right on Miami Beach. And the best thing about it, even though there's a ton of great speakers and all that jazz and events and whatever, the best thing is you get to meet other Bitcoiners, hang out, talk, build relationships. It's the best thing ever. Ticket prices do creep up as we get closer to the event. So there is an incentive to lock them down early. And if you'd like to do that at checkout, use the code RAPIDFIRE and get yourself 10% off. And finally, Bull Bitcoin. If you're looking to buy Bitcoin in Canada, this is the place to do it. Bull Bitcoin is a non-custodial exchange, which means when you buy the Bitcoin, they don't hold on to it. They send it right to you, which in my opinion is the best way to buy Bitcoin. So you're not leaving your coins on exchange and leaving them open to theft or loss or anything other than your own cold storage. In mid-December, they're going to be rolling out BitcoinSupport.com. So if you or anyone you know, friends, family are looking for a little bit more hand-holding in setting up your Bitcoin custody solution, making sure everything is done properly, that's what BitcoinSupport.com is for. So if a little self-custody support interests you, be sure to check out BitcoinSupport.com come mid-December. That's it. Enjoy the show. Let's do it. Bitcoin's only at 40-something thousand dollars, which is the fuck, man. Uh, I'm I'm excited about it, dude. Like this taste, like this is where I can start like figuring out how to like take out credit lines and shit. Like this is this is the best place where like I like looking at debt instruments. Is I'm like mm, this looks pretty tasty. We're live, by the way. Did you see the Did you see the Ledin announcement today? The no. Bitcoin mortgage. Yep. Yeah. So mm-hmm. basically, I haven't dug into all the particulars of how their their announcement would work, but the Ledin has a Bitcoin mortgage product now where basically you give them the, let's say you want to buy a million dollar house, you give them a million dollars worth of Bitcoin. You get like a, this is the weird part. You get like a two year arm type mortgage. And then, so I think you just pay the interest on it for the two years and then you owe a balloon payment at the end or something. I don't know. I still got to like dig into the particulars, but it's pretty dope that these Bitcoin mortgage products are starting to come to market. Cause I've been saying like, we need this for a long time. You know? Well, is it just, is, it, is the are difference you sure it's only hundred percent? Um, it was like, I think they said that it was the value of the home plus the value of the Bitcoin equals out to like a 50% LTV, right? Something like that. Like, yeah, yeah. I got to dig so, into it further, but. So they're just letting you use the home as part of the collateral. Like a, yeah. And they would come for the home first before they would come for the Bitcoin first, I believe. Like in the event of a default, you know? But I mean, it's. Dude, I it's wonder if cool there's still collateral because... requirements. Like, if fifty percent of the collateral is Bitcoin and Bitcoin tanks by like fifty percent, you're still gonna have to top up. I would imagine. 
I'm sure they're still like mark to market to some degree. Um, yes, I will see it. But like the, just the fact that, you know, who wants to sell their Bitcoin to get their Citadel? If you can get your Citadel without selling your Bitcoin, all the better, you know? Somebody else holding on to it though. Mm-hmm. That's the always the trick. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to see what they do with it, how they generate yield off of your off your coins. There's yeah. a lot of questions. Yeah. There's gonna be fun. I mean, that's they, like they, the ultimate scam though, right? It's just like get as long as you can figure out a way to get people separated from their keys in some way. And like this is why, like, we're gonna rebuild fractional reserve banking and all this shit. It's just hopefully gonna be I, I think it'll just operate a lot better because of the transparency that it's forced to have in conjunction with the fact that uh, like it now has to utilize a base asset like Bitcoin. And it's going to be really interesting with DeFi kind of fucking around in the background because there's going to be these continual cascading losses that uh, like, like DeFi and like all this crypto shit that like that's Bitcoin's original sin, like in it, yeah. in it being created, like it, it, through man's greed, he like has to try to recreate it, which like is the same way with like him, you know, trying the knowledge of the Apple. And I've been talking to the shit coiners and, you know, they'll admit to the smart ones who are not confused, the ones who are taking advantage of this. They'll admit to you that they're basically front running people's natural desire for yield, even though Bitcoin is sort of this great definancialization. And like we don't you don't need yield products in a Bitcoin denominated world. Right. But people are coming from an inflationary environment. They haven't done the hard work of switching over their, you know, their mental uh, model to Bitcoin. And so they're going to be looking for yield the first second they come into Bitcoin. We all did it. I did it. I lost a Bitcoin on BTC Jam back in the day. I don't know if anybody remembers that, Eric. Oh, know. yeah. It was, it was a total yeah, yeah. hunk of shit product. Like the word, I lost a full Bitcoin on that product, which at the time felt like, ah, 200 bucks. Now it's like, oh, that's, that's a fucking whole Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> so we all do it. It's natural. And, you know, the shitcoiners are basically front running people's desire for yield with all this DeFi APY bullshit you know i'm like well what's really funny is that like bitcoiners not like this is modified it so that like we're not chasing yield anymore we're chasing cash flow like if you have mm. bitcoin cash flow like fuck yeah and like what's ironic is that now aligns it into entrepreneurial interest once again it's about building it's about doing the work as opposed to the rent seeking or the staking yep yeah i feel like all this like to your point, we're going to run through all this again, all the same mistakes of fiat land. We're going to try to, to put onto Bitcoin and most of it's just going to crash against the rocks of Bitcoin. Eventually people are going to get rugged, burned, wrecked, all that stuff. And at the end of the day, we'll realize what Bitcoin is meant for and what it can and can't be used for. And the adjustments you have to make as someone who wants more money, more optionality in order to engage with that optimally. And we're by no means close to that we're like all the same shit is forming well, the hunt for yields well, get worse it's going to get way mm -hmm. worse because as inflation ramps up people are getting pushed further and further out along that risk curve yeah right the negative real returns on all assets are going to be exploding so people we've seen this right anytime you read like i always go to that book fiat currency inflation in france yeah Inflation just turns people into fucking degenerate gamblers, basically. Everyone's trying to do anything to make money. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you can have Bitcoin cash flow, I mean, basically, I guess the the axiom would be if it don't make sats, then it don't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I, like calling, I like calling the risk curve the risk cliff. 
because these fucking lemmings don't realize where they're headed. They're headed mm. right off the fucking edge. You know what I mean? And like, if you, I don't know, man. If you have the appropriate mental model in your head, maybe you can do this shit and get away with it for a while. But I think it's a dangerous fucking game that you're playing. You're going to get suckered in by greed, siren song, crash the rocks, fucking blow up your whole shit, end up with no Bitcoin. That's how I feel about it anyway. That's why I don't do it. No, I well, think like, you're what, right. Like, what are you trying to actually achieve? You know, like, like so many people, like they, they want money, but they have no fucking clue what they're going to do with it once they have it. And it's pretty interesting that, that they get so caught up in this idea that they forget that like freedom is the actual ultimate thing that you want. Like you don't, mm. you don't want to have to keep watching dollar numbers go up so you can spend all this shit and whatever. Like you want to have an actual opportunity to have real savings so that you can forget all that bullshit and go like live and celebrate your fucking life in the, in the truth and glory that it's supposed to be. And then you can actually produce something of true value into the world. Like now you're empowered in such a way that instead of, you know, you flipping burgers or doing somebody else's bullshit for 20 bucks an hour, you're empowered enough to go, oh, I can go build this thing. That's a risk, but I have the skill set to do it. Totally. Well, and you all understand the game. I mean, you could all play this game where you could flip shit coins for more Bitcoin. But let's say you make, I don't know, let's say you make 10 Bitcoin or 15 Bitcoin doing that, you know, and you feel happy with yourself. Like, what is the marginal utility of each additional Bitcoin? In, in, when, when we all know that, uh, did you catch the glip, the, the the glitch on coin market cap the other day where it said one Bitcoin equals one trillion dollars? Like that that's a preview of hyper Bitcoinization, man. What does it mean to have six point one five trillion dollars? We don't know. We'll find out. But like you don't actually need the seven point one five trillion dollars. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And you know, to Eric, to your point, like it really it really is like an evolution of your own consciousness in a way to 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 figure out, to change that relationship, right? To not just like pursue more for the sake of more, but to pursue more for the sake of your own liberation, I guess, in a sense. But when you have that, what is it that you pursue? And I think this is part of the, like the ongoing dialogue that we are having around Bitcoin. It's like, what are the things of greatest meaning once your biological imperatives have been taken care of, right? For you and your family and that kind of stuff. Like what, you've got the time, you've got the optionality, now what? What's the thing of, of greatest meaning to pursue? And like, we've just been put through the meat grinder of industrial education and mainstream media and all this bullshit that like, that's never really something that we've been confronted with. And like, even us who probably are mulling those sort of questions over more than most people, like, it's by no means clear uh, what the answer to that question should be. And even to reframe your, like, as you're saying, Eric, like the money is, a means to an end and that mean and that end is your own liberation being out being able to pursue the things that you most want to pursue and to be able to put yourself in a position where you're most like optimized right and even just in the last several months me traveling around you know i'll be negotiating rents and stuff with people and i'll be like oh fuck that's like a thousand bucks more than i want it to be or whatever it's nicer and it'd be like i'd sleep better and it's a better work environment but it's a thousand bucks more and then i'm like what the fuck am i talking about like how much is it worth for me to every day feel rested, switched on, clear, mm. focused, productive. Like it's worth way fucking more than a thousand bucks a month, right? So what am I, what, why am I nitpicking? Yeah, just, you know, if you can pay it, pay it and move on and 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 devote yourself you, to like you higher only have things. that perspective 
you only have that perspective from from the value of John Vallis at like as your own individual person that you own, and you're like fuck a thousand dollars, fuck yeah. There are people out there that are like fuck nope, no way. Like I only make twenty dollars an hour. That's a huge portion of my salary, you know. And so so many people are crammed into this tiny box. Yeah, but what I'm saying is like. I was doing that to myself. I, you know, I was like trying to save as much money as possible because, you know, we all want more money, we all mo- want more sats. But at a certain point, you got to be like, well, what's the trade-off you're making? Are, if you're saving money, mm-hmm. but the trade-off you're making is like your contentness and your restedness and your focus and your clarity, it's a fucking horrible deal, right? So like, even if you yeah. bring yourself closer to the line that you don't want to go below or whatever, like you have to be more, I have need to be more conscious. And I, and I think many of us, like we haven't really spent much time on figuring out like what's the optimal equilibrium between like, this is how much we can get by on, but this is how much we're optimized with. And so like, we should be more comfortable of bringing it up to that line rather than trying to keep it at like a minimum, you know? Well, you've yeah. already, like John, you've already done the sacrifice thing for X number of years. And so you have a, you have a foundation, there, right? Like what Eric's talking about, the person who makes 20 bucks or whatever is like, uh, they haven't, they, you know, and this is the honest truth, you're going to have to, you know, go through some pretty extreme sacrifices for, let's say, three to five years in order to win later. And most people are just wholly unwilling to do that. Most people are looking for the shortcut. They're looking for the way out. Like, you know, success is basically predicated on doing uncommon things for uncommonly long periods of time. And that's it. It's that simple. It's just like if you want to be skinny, like stop eating so much fucking food. If you want a healthy relationship, like, you know, maybe stay loyal and be engaged and show up every day, like whatever it is, all the best things in life take time to acquire, right? All, anything that's actually worth having takes time to acquire, but people are not willing to put in that time, mainly because they don't believe that it's, that it's real. They don't believe that you could sacrifice for three years and put all your money in Bitcoin and then actually, you know, prosper on the other end of that. It sounds like a fucking lie. And I think this is what aggravates me so much about the goddamn shit corners is they use our language to sell things that are mousetraps, that are lies, that are going to destroy people. And it just pisses me off. Like if you are talking to me about some DeFi protocol coin and you're telling me it's intergenerational wealth, I want to fucking <laughs> strangle you. You know what I mean? Like the worst. The worst. And they're co-opting our bullshit all over the place. And uh, it's just been like everybody all year has just been like, hey, man. Remember when you told me about Bitcoin five years ago? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, I bought Dogecoin finally. And I'm like, Jesus, this is not, this is not what I told you to do. It's not what I told you. To do. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Like, yeah. Uh, I think there's a huge, yeah. there's a huge, I mean, that is definitely true what you just said. And I share the sentiment, but I also think one of the things I experienced, I guess, to a certain extent, maybe continue to, maybe you always do because the, your reference to your future self is always in flux based on where you are and what, how you kind of move the goalposts of the life you want and who you want to be but actually like you a lot of people i think lock themselves into an idea or conception of who they are based on whatever family background history finance finances all that kind of stuff and it's almost like some decisions are un, they're almost they make themselves unable to make certain decisions because it doesn't conform with such a rigid perception of of who they are now and um, like to your point, Hoddle, and it is obviously a, like this is an unprecedented scenario. So just to tell someone like sacrifice for five years and everything's going to be good, like you can appreciate why they don't buy that immediately. But I think even if they kind of did appreciate the the paradigm shift or the specialness of this situation, it is a bit of a trip to imagine yourself being a completely different, like a, a in a, in a mm-hmm. different situation in, in a very different. This situation. is why. 
this is why people won't do it uh, for themselves is because the you from 10 years in the future feels the same to you as a stranger when you think about them. Right. So it's like, why would I do something for a stranger? Fuck this. Or it's like um, Homer Simpson in the Simpsons, you know, like there's this episode where he fucks some shit up and then he's like, glad I don't have to worry about this. This is a problem for future Homer, you know, and that's how most people live their lives. Right. Like, well, I think he's running around creating issues for themselves. He's drinking the jar of mayonnaise and vodka. He drinks a whole jar of it. And Marge is like, Homer, why'd you do that? And he goes, ah, it's a problem for future Homer. Yeah, exactly. Most people treat future them like future Homer. Like, fuck that guy. I don't care about him. It's funny that you bring that up because I, I have a distinct experience of, uh, I, I've journaled throughout my whole life, like since I was 10. And uh, I remember when I was in my mid twenties, I like came across a journal from when I was 15. Like the whole thing's just like whining about girls. And I like can't find a girlfriend. <laughs> girls will never like me. And I'm like so lonely. Uh, and I'm reading this when I'm like 25 and like, in short, like I really, I fixed that problem very, very well. And, uh, you know, I was poor as fuck at that time too. And I remember being like, man, like I'm thinking a lot about wealth and I'm like really fucking poor right now. I was like, I, I really hope I can like figure this shit out. And so I like found this journal entry, you know, maybe like a year ago and read through it. And I was like, oh, like, fuck yeah. Like I got that figured out. I was like, so what am I worried about now? You know? And like, I'm like, I'm much more concerned about like, my health and like my personal well-being as like a spiritual person and uh i bring that up because like i i think we don't have the possibility of seeing who that future self is but it's predicated first upon a practice of the care of the self which like fiat world absolutely does not want for you like they they want you to be attached to all these external things and to need all these external things to fix you whereas if you actually have a practice of self-discipline and self-ethics for yourself first and foremost, that then creates a development that allows for you to move forward with your goals. And I think Bitcoin sort of teaches us that through its own praxis of forcing us all to understand what it is, what economics are, why it's important, particularly in our world of today. And, and like through this reading, we start to like decrypt a deeper and different understanding, not only of Bitcoin, but of ourselves as well. Yeah, I, I also think to some degree we're lucky because all of us on this call and many of us in Bitcoin have this personality type where it's like, you 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 don't tell me what to do. I'm not going to do what the fuck you told me to do. I, I need autonomy. And so that leads us to wealth creation because we think to ourselves, hey, if I can get enough money, I don't have to go to this shitty job and have this shitty guy tell me what to fucking do all day long, right? And I think, unfortunately, and the pandemic has laid this bare for me, is that you know most people don't mind being told what to do. Like, it, yeah. in fact, no shit. So that's like when you're talking to your friends and family, and you're like, "You got to get your Bitcoin." They don't feel the same way you feel. They're kind of happy to be told how to live their lives. You know, absolutely. It's so frustrating. But I think I think one of the other interesting phenomenons with Bitcoin, and because of its the degree of security permanence that it seems to have, it changes the salience of your conception of your future self because it dramatically like changes the relationship there. It, it imbues it with, yeah, I mean, like it, it makes it more real in a sense because you know there's another thing attached to it and that thing attached to it is this, is this bedrock of, of security and optionality. And so it kind of, I think it 
makes it glow it makes your future glow like a bit more and as a result of that it, it devote you devote more of your attention to it you think about it more you determine how what kind of relationship you want to construct with it how you want to move toward it all that stuff it gives you this you know high bandwidth conduit of energy to your future self right all of a sudden you can work today and store the fruits of your labor and bitcoin deep freeze right and harvest them whenever you want so yeah, it's clarifying, clarifying for that relationship with, with future self. Um, something I've been thinking about, I'm writing this piece right now, Sovereignism Part 8. It's like fucking brutally painful to write because it's about mass psychosis and totalitarianism and fiat. And, you know, it's all very relevant to what we're seeing today. And it's also just painful to look at the historical episodes of all that. And my one of the things that occurred to me is that fiat itself this idea that someone can make an assertion about reality that supersedes reality it's it's literally fucking insane it's it's um you know it's kind of like the source of pride and and arrogance and, and all these other things and it's really it's rooted in fear i think um Absolutely. and there's an emphasis on externals you know because that's what fear like they talk about in the, the Eastern spiritual traditions a lot. They always talk about freedom being kind of the opposite of, of fear. And it's not something like you're even necessarily free from externals. It's something you decide within yourself. You decide to be, um, you decide to take responsibility for whatever it is, right? You will, you will choose how to respond to your external environment, no matter what it is. And that's kind of like freedom. And so it's occurring to me, this whole thing that fiat distorts our lens to make us think that the external power is the ultimate power or something. Whereas it's really your internal willpower to decide and relate to that future self and change how you chart your way through reality. So it's almost like, and this gets back to work in a way, because work is that right. Work is us relating to our future self, us using our willpower to overcome external power in some way to create a new reality. And so it's, it's, again, we're back to this dichotomy between fiat and work. It's like, one's a lie, one's the truth. One's counterfeit, one can't be counterfeit. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm digging into this more, and I feel like there's some, the delusion seems to be that anything other than 100% self-ownership, individual self-ownership is possible. It's like the, the, the ruled individual they want to like give up some of their ownership to someone else and let them worry about it. Right. Let the government worry about my security or my social security or whatever. So they're trying to, they want, they want to be less than 100% self-owned or self-responsible where the other mm -hmm. side of that equation is the, you know, the, the person suffering from megalomania effectively, they think they can be more than 100% individually self-owned through the enslavement or, or decree of the actions of others, something like that. So there's this psychological schism in our society as a result of fiat itself, the idea that man can play God and overwrite what is with his word versus discovering what is through work and competition. And well, so I, th I think this relate, this relates a lot to my, my last essay that I had that was about the pedagogy of Bitcoin, because like through this education of like what Bitcoin and cryptography is and peer to peer communication there's this way that you can actually realize as an individual, you can stand up to the full power of the state. 
And like, that's something fundamentally different and distinct for our time and our generation now through the internet. And it's particularly important because it breaks this oscillation that we've seen all throughout human history of constituating power of, of people putting power into something and, and the deconstituting power where people destroy something and oscillates back and forth between violence on both sides. Whereas like we've actually shattered that paradigm of utilizing mm -hmm. violence in order to create these forms of sovereignty, whether it, it's to take control over somebody for means or to have control taken over you for a means. Once we actually understand Bitcoin and cryptography in a meaningful and deep way, we can all have these transactions with each other that respect the self-sovereignty of one another. We recognize that self-sovereignty and we also see that it's something fundamentally and distinctly different from all other forms before, which is also why it becomes political through this apolitical nature as well. Yeah, yeah it's, you know, <clears throat> I think that's the role of voluntary exchange, right? Allowing each person to maintain like that 100% sovereignty that Rob was referring to, but leveraging the ingenuity and the work and the capacity of everyone else with whom you share an environment, right? This is the kind of like the double-edged sword of culture. Culture, well, it exists for a reason, right? Because it can be incredibly adaptive and better beneficial for, uh, you know, helping you enrich your life in various ways, offloading some of the cognitive work, many other things. And as a result, developing perhaps a more meaningful life. But if you don't engage that properly, or if it's not founded on the right principles or mechanisms, then it becomes a trap whereby you end up giving away that self-ownership and you, you, you relinquish the responsibility of so many different aspects of, of yourself, right? And that's why it's so important to get culture right. And I think we probably all agree that like the number one foundation of culture is having a money, a, a means of interacting and exchanging with one another that can't be corrupted, where that signal that you're sending out through the, the transactions that you make, those expressions of value cannot be distorted or diluted in any way. And so they, they head out on into the market and order is established via the interaction of all those value hierarchies, but in pristine form. Because if you allow intervention or distortion in those signals, that's when, it, that's when you experience problems. And obviously we're way the fuck down that road right now. Yeah, Bitcoin is like uh, the great aggregator, you know, it, it is not a, it's a bottom up, it's an emergent system. And so it's taking all of the inputs. I mean, in a Bitcoinized world, it will be taking all of the inputs that humanity has to offer and aggregating them into this sort of pure signal. And I think uh, one of the things like I, I sometimes worry about is like, is that thing co-optable and how could it be co-opted? And I never, I never get a clear answer on this because I think we have to live it to find out, but um that's something i worry about is what co is what co-optable corruptible just can the people can somebody get a hold of i don't know like see it, it breaks down in my mind when i when i try and explain it but it, it's a feeling and the feeling is just like can someone get a hold of this and mm -hmm. then put you know decree uh their interpretation let's say of like what what the signals are telling them or like i, I don't know this isn't a fully formed thought. Can, can the I, signal be corrupted? I mean, that's the hope I, of Bitcoin. Yeah, it can't be, I have, right? Um, I can't remember who I was talking about with this, but I have a similar sort of worry where when you study history, you see human beings within three generations, typically forgetting the lessons of their forebears. 
and they just will literally fucking repeat the exact same mistake to a T all the consequences, you know, again, a lot of it is that I've been looking at is fiat inflation. They'll literally do it, destroy their society, eating fucking cats and dogs, you know, scratching by to survive, write all these books and pamphlets about never do it again. Here's the evils of inflation. Three generations later, they're doing the same fucking thing. So I, I do have I mean, this fear too with Bitcoin. Like if we don't ritualize it effectively, and I'm not sure what exactly we need to ritualize. I assume it relates to node operation and mining network protection that we could forget in three generations. We may just take Bitcoin for granted at some point. Yeah. And yeah. Someone could co-op it. Yeah. Apathy is the big problem. I mean, imagine if you brought, imagine bringing the founding fathers to today. Let's just bring back Madison and Jefferson and Washington and Hamilton. Bring them to today and be like, all right, what do you think? And they'd be like, uh, keep the muskets where? Uh, we're about to do some shit. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think they get trapped in all this shit. Like they'd all get heroin addictions immediately or alcoholism. Like one would be a sex addict. Like, you know, all the vices of modernity would like eat all of them immediately just because they haven't had any sort of tolerance to build up to any of it. Uh, and I mean, like the, that's what that's, we live inside the spectacle. Like it's, it's extraordinary to watch the amount of cognitive distance going on, the amount of lies that are happening, the way people are swallowing it, the way people are turning on each other. Uh, like it's really fucked up. And to speak to that, that point Hoddle about co-opting Bitcoin, uh, like I, th- this is kind of the ultimate battle between good and evil, in my opinion, because like, I think as everything escalates, like Bitcoin will become the scapegoat. States will attack it. Bitcoiners will get, you know, black bagged and that kind of shit. And I, and like, I truly do believe that we are going to watch this thing literally amortize the eschaton because it's so powerful. Like the state is going to try to attack it. And as they do that, they're going to flip out and be like, fucking like nuke mining operations like just like full-scale fucking war and like i think that shit's really gonna unlock society in a, in a super crazy ass way for like the final encounter between like the state and like sovereign individuals what do you mean unlock but, uh, society uh that like we're on the precipice of this new bitcoin society that's like essentially going to like rescue us from what's clearly like totalitarian authoritarianism, like in the form of a totalizing global digital panopticon. And like, we have to rebuild the internet on its backbone with encryption in order to, you know, essentially rescue society from these digital concentration camps that are being built. And Bitcoin's really the only hope that there's any possibility to do that. Uh, and it's like scary staring down the, the chamber of that gun, but that's that's what I see happening because I don't see any way out of this absolute nightmare that fiat has created. That specifically, like now we have a paranoid schizophrenic police state that like has people battling this invisible enemy, but way fucking louder than we've ever had. You know, like there was the mm-hmm. war on drugs and like that was an invisible war. But this thing's totally different. You know, neighbors war and families are, are turning yeah. against each other. Well, it's, it's always it's always a big, invisible, unidentifiable enemy, right? A virus, terrorists, climate change, global warming. Like it, it, it wouldn't have the effect if it was something local and specific, right? So it has to just balloon out to something that you, nobody can really argue with because you can't really nail it down. You can't see it. It's, it's, it's able to be invoked <clears throat> for whatever you want to do. And like, I know like conspiracies abound, right? But when the money fails, 
an economy has to go more towards command and control because in order to maintain order, more decisions have to be made top down. If the, if the, let's say the natural coordinating function of the money diminishes, command and control increases. And I think that's like largely what we're seeing now. And so as the money continues to be abused and continues to break, we should just expect more command and control. And that the felt experience of that is, you know, authoritarianism, right? Or what we've been railing on, which is just people blindly uh, and willfully just swallowing whatever they're told and doing whatever they're told. And you have like a kind of a zombie society where people just say yes and go to their job and do the thing and, and don't really think about things. Now, I mean, I, don't, I, I think the big question we, you know, everyone wants to know is like, how does that end and how does it play out? And I don't even know if those are like useful conversations because we don't fucking know, right? There's so many unknowns. Like all oh, yeah. we can do is be as adaptable as possible, do what we think is the most meaningful and accept both outcomes, right? Like either we make it and it's a better world on the back end or we don't and it's all over. Well, and, you know, well, kind of got to be okay with we, we have to live on the fringes. Like there, there's no other place for us to live except for on the fringes. Because like that... That society's built and like a bunch of those people can't be unplugged. You know, like there are people that have asked me to do acid with them and I'm no, like, I'm sorry, you're not ready. Like do, doing that with you will, will break you. And I'm really sorry, but like you need to do some self-study first. And like, that's what a lot of is going on in society. A lot of people aren't ready to, to hold their own keys. A lot of people aren't ready to be responsible enough to think about why something does or doesn't have value. Like the fact that we have all of this insane shit coinery going on and these just fundamental fucking lies about DeFi when these things are more centralized than, than you know, a normal data server. Uh, like it's really concerning because like we, we can't save these people. They need to get wrecked and they need to suffer and they need to understand oh, there's a reason that the government was handing out free money for a long time. You know, maybe they're not my friend. Maybe they weren't telling me the truth about not only the pandemic, but maybe everything else, you know? And like, it really requires for this radical break to happen where you go, oh shit. Like the, the world isn't what I think it was. It's something pretty different and kind of dark. There seems to be a lot of that happening these days. You know, people getting so-called red-pilled about things. Which is one of the things that good, I, I'm like, one of the things I'm hopeful for is that uh, sort of what what Eric was talking about, you know, with the digital panopticon, <clears throat> the surveillance state, the digital gulag, all of that stuff. I mean, it's here now, and it's a small cancer, and it's going to metastasize and grow extremely large, and that's just it's going to happen. And the 20th century will be a battle between, um, you know, authoritarian AI communism in a techno state mm -hmm. and libertarian Bitcoin paradise, right? And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we can get to the right people, uh, you know, inside uh, the American political apparatus and we can explain this to them and say, listen, we, we don't wanna go the way that China is going because it will destroy everything. Every bit of the American ethos that's left will be gone. And we need America to be the host of liberty again in the 21st century. And that only happens by embracing Bitcoin. It does not happen by embracing top-down AI communist bullshit, you know, because, and essentially like, I think of Bitcoin as a narrow but powerful AI already, right? Like I've seen it go to work on me, my incentives, change my life in certain ways, which sounds like, now I always get religious, like in the sense, like it's like Bitcoin changed my life, man. 
if Satoshi had touched you the way he touched me, whatever, right? But it's like, oh, you're preaching you to know. the choir. <laughs> you know, I, I know. But yeah, there's this idea of a paperclip maximizer. I don't know if I've ever brought this up to you guys before, but essentially, like, a paperclip maximizer is a narrow yet extremely powerful AI whose job is to make paperclips. And it's so goddamn powerful, it ends up turning the entire world into paperclips, right? Um, and this is what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is a narrow yet powerful AI. And what the, you know, uh, the Eastern sort of communist state is trying to create is a, a general AI, but it'll be Wizard of Oz bullshit. It'll be them behind the curtain. It won't actually be a general AI, but they'll promote it in that manner. And I don't know. I'm like, I think that America is the host for Bitcoin and we can, we can stop this bullshit. There's still time for us to stem the tide out of everywhere in the world that did shitty on the pandemic. Listen, the red states did pretty good. The blue states did kind of shit, but like we, we did half okay. We can still get out of this thing, I hope. <laughs> Fuck, maybe not. <laughs> we'll see. I think the reason, I mean, a large contributor, at least in my observation of why the red states did well is because they have some Christian rooting, right? There's some fabric there that does not deify the state. It actually resists the deification of the state. But then you go to New York or fucking LA and it's just not there. So people are just like, yeah, fucking jab me up, bro. Give it to me forever save you know it's all the anti-science whatever science well, it's, the, it's the ruleism doesn't the rule. allow for the panopticon to operate as loud it's a religious a impulse you know it's it's ineradicably human and it has to be filled or concentrated onto something and if you pull this is just like we saw in soviet russia and every other fucking totalitarian state you pull out religion seriously and you uproot it and then people just deify the state and then we know how that ends so it's, it's what you were talking about with the internal locus of control. Like, I mean, early on in this pandemic, you know, I'm not very religious at the moment, but I definitely grew up with a strong religious background. I was an altar boy and all that shit. And early on in the pandemic, I was just like, if I die, I die. Fuck it. I keep living my life. <laughs> and when I found out that there were other people who didn't feel that way, I was like, what? What's going on? You're still scared? It's two years later and you've been jabbed up nine times. Right? Like, Well, that's actually an, another interesting relation to the religious domain or enterprise and what we were talking about earlier with psychedelics and and how people uh delegate different responsibilities to the state and stuff out of fear and like ultimately when you boil it all down you know the the basic question is like what is your relationship to your own fear of death that mm -hmm. will dictate a lot of the decisions that you make in life it seems <clears throat> and Absolutely. i think part part of religion and psychedelics, mystical experiences, all that stuff that's kind of in the same domain, it helps you establish a healthier relationship with your mortality so that you can live a more meaningful and more liberated mm -hmm. life when you're living, right? Yeah. So the, the, the objective is, of life is not to breathe as many breaths, have as many heartbeats, as many trips around the sun as possible, just to cling to it for the sake of it. It's, in my opinion, to be as free and to experience the the joy of being as much as possible. And you can only do that if you accept the transience of it, i.e. if you accept the inevitability of your own death and have a, a healthy relationship to that. Well, this is what back to earlier was said fiat's rooted in fear. Like if you have a resolute acceptance of death, then you are immune immunized against fiat. It's like, you know, like, and, and not only that, you're also going to live your life fully right? Because if you know you're going to die, every moment is precious. This is all, yeah. you know, Stoics had this really figured out. 
Um, I want to get back this. There's something here about fear, addiction, fiat, like they're all really deeply connected. And um, you, know, you were saying earlier that as the money deteriorates, as it breaks down more and more, there's more and more uh-huh. demand for law and order, right? From on high. This is like, that is reciprocal narrowing though, because when you're violating people's money, you're debasing the money, you're violating their property rights, you're breaking the rules of the game. This is driving people more psychotic, right? So then this people dealing with the psychosis are then going to have more demand for stability or law and order, Mm. which the totalitarians trying to impose even more through more property right violations drives people even fucking crazier. So this is like, this is the reciprocal narrowing you see in an alcoholic, right? He's like, Mm-hmm. I'm going to drink this beer because my life sucks. And then he drinks the beer and his life sucks a little more because he didn't attend to his responsibilities or take care of his family or go to work or whatever the problem is. And so his, his life sucks a little more. And then he's like, well, maybe I'll drink another beer. And he just keeps doing this reciprocal narrowing process until his life spins out of control. So I don't mm-hmm. think like I have all this hope that America could wake up and be like, you know what? We fucked it up, guys. Let's move back to sound money you know, life, liberty, and property. Let's, let's rerun this experiment that made us so great in the first place. But I don't think that's actually going to happen. I think this thing has to play itself out and destroy itself. And the only thing we can do is construct parallel structures. Like we need, need to create self-organized networks of humans centered on values and principles uh, in probably in these red states that will survive post-statism. Because the thing like it will, eventually it just eats itself. It's a self-devouring phenomenon. And Mm -hmm. so you need to have some enclave that's insulated from that destruction, that self-destruction from which to rebuild. So I say all that. And and the question is like where to be, where to go. um, But red states. Not not California. Yeah. The hundred block question. Well, I'm going to defend myself here because I'm in California, but like, I'm probably in one of the most rural spots in California. I love, like, there's no law rural, enforcement rural agencies California out is. here. Yeah. Everybody owns guns. Everybody hates yeah. the state. I Like, I've met more Bitcoiners out here in this, like, town of less than a thousand people than I have any time I was, like, living in the Bay Area proper. And, like, it's fucking cool. Like, I talk to people and, like, you know, there's always the prodding of conversations. And, like, pretty quickly, they're like, Oh yeah, like these fucking clowns are gonna destroy the economy. I'm like, oh, have you like heard of Bitcoin? They're like, oh, like tell me more. And I'm like, really? You don't... Yeah, like I can do that. I think I saw. You know? it and the... so I, yeah. I just want to defend right. balkanization because I think it's important to to. Because also, like, I live in Shangri-La. I love where I live. I think it's an important place to to be. But that's probably just because I don't necessarily want to have to flee to a state that's far away that I haven't spent much time in. So no, I I think. Um... You know, I saw that Gavin Newsom, uh, you know, California's governor, was going to use the same logic uh, that was put in place for the Texas, you know, pseudo-abortion ban. He wants to use it for, you know, quote-unquote assault rifles in, in California. And I just thought to myself when I saw this news story, I was like, here it is, the divorce of America, right? Like, we're now sleeping in separate bedrooms. What happens after that? <laughs> This is gonna, we're going to keep drifting apart. We, we have two absolute distinct cultures in America now, and they have very little uh, overlap, you know, like, and they don't even pretend to like each other. They hold absolute contempt for each other now. And it's just like, it's not the America that we knew 20 or 30 years ago where we were all sort of in alignment based on 
whatever cultural values we thought we shared. We don't share those anymore. And everybody's in their own, you know, ideological echo chamber, brainwashing themselves further and further, creating us and them divides between, you know, their group and whatever other group. And that's not going to abate anytime soon. That's like full steam ahead. So we're going to have to live with the consequences of an entire generation of American leadership who think that the map is the territory and they see no difference uh, in the territory and they, they don't care to meet reality on reality's terms. And as long as it plays on Twitter, well, then who gives a shit if I'm legislating effectively for the people that actually live underneath me in real life? Like, danger, danger. Like, things are getting really scary. You know? Yeah. I mean, like, you got to abandon it. Like, they, we can't save this. This thing has to play out on its own. Like, these people have to allow for their insanity to like leave to the inevitable suicide that that seems to be contained in it and and to go off and build a private life that they can't take that they can't see that they can't judge you know and to me like these societies that are getting set up on the periphery it's not about them taking over society in 20 years it's about them being all that's left in 200 years you know and and to me like that's what's really important is getting that set up right and I'm confident like we've found each other now. We've found the technology we're going to use to do that. And we just need to endure at this point in time. And a lot of that is, is through a process of balkanization, connecting with others. And maybe we do get a Bitcoin Citadel or something like that. But uh, I think the important thing is, is that, yeah, like you're not going to find your answers in this right left thing. You're not going to find it in the political situation as we currently understand it. And, you know, it's not, we can, we can, just like the matrix, we can go to people and say, red pill or blue pill? Like, which one do you want? And I've found a lot of people like, I want the red pill, but like, is it gonna hurt? And like, is it gonna be different? And like, will it not be safe? And I like slap it out of their hand. I'm like, you're not fucking ready, bye. <laughs> uh, well, like, I'm just, I'm totally sick of wasting my fucking time on people that are it's like- stupid, well, it's stupid. You know, like, yeah. I, I'm not interested in, like, what does Satoshi say? Like, I, I can try to convince you or not, like, I don't have time for it. And so like, I'm, I'm just super yeah. uninterested in wasting my time on people that haven't, haven't done their homework and are like hungry for it. Cause I'm just yeah. not in the business of, of doing the soft sell. I, I do yeah. think that there's a large part of this that uh, comes down to the loss of God in our society. Like we do have essentially a God shaped hole. And, and by the way, I say this as somebody who's, you know, probably agnostic or agnostic atheist. Um, you know, it's essentially like when Nietzsche came out and said, God is dead, right? Like what he was saying is that we have no unifying principle in society anymore. And so society will be this massive interconnected interest where everybody will be trying to pull you down. And then you end up doing what Rob said and you become the Tyler Durden version of yourself, or as Nietzsche puts it, the Ubermensch. And you have this sort of Nietzschean will to power. And I think we've seen that with like, let's say the, the tech, the, the oligarchical tech class in the Valley um you know they they created their own uh basically you know, citadels in the virtual world like facebook is is mark citadel and he lives there and he rules over it right but you know they have um they have more power than they should and they try and wield it on other people in an effort to quote unquote make their lives better because they're so smart and they know better for you right obviously and that's when it becomes uh, you know totalitarian and and just terrible frankly and so yeah. like Trying, trying to be the libertarian version of that person and inspire other people to become the Ubermensch version of themselves uh, is something I've been doing for a while and it's not working. It's not fucking working, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> so I don't know what to do. You know, I've been, I've been thinking about the religious impulse and the, you know, God is dead and we killed him shtick 
a lot lately. And I finally made a push in the last couple of days to finish off a piece of writing, which I'll probably publish right after this today. It actually deals with a lot of the stuff we've already talked about. But, um, you know, I wonder, because it does seem that way, right? It seems like it's not only that we don't have a unifying principle toward one another, but we also don't have a, a principle by which to almost uh, submit ourselves to. And that sounds like, you know, shitty religious language, but we all need, I mean, <clears throat> consciousness doesn't work without something to order itself by and to have all of its functions hierarchically arranged properly, right? Something is going to order it, the highest ideal, the highest truth, something like that. And, you know, and so I it seems almost obvious at this point that at least some of the fuckery that's going on today is a result of people not being, not having a sufficient humility toward the unknown, let's say, you know, that kind of desiring complete and total power and knowledge within themselves and acting in accord with that and making so many fucking mistakes and tyrannical behavior as a result of that. But at the same time, then I think, you know, that seems obvious, but then I'm like, well, in previous eras and like, let's just, let's just preface all this by saying, I think the religious enterprise, like trying, you know, first of all, why it emerged, the inevitability of its emergence in all cultures and civilizations since the dawn of, of time, basically, um, should mean that it's like inexorable from our experience of reality for human consciousness, that it's not juvenile. It's an, it's the, the reason, there's a reason why it's been the central pursuit. The institutions that may, you know, uh, propagate it or steward it, filled with people that are highly fallible, highly corruptible. And that's probably why it has such a bad taste in our mouths in the current era, among other reasons. But I think the enterprise itself is extremely important. And so one of the things that I think is going on in the world today is that we've just assumed in our, in our, uh, you know, in our seeming advancement that it is no longer necessary, required, or valuable. And that just seems like incredible hubris to me. But at the same time, I think, well, even in prior eras where that wasn't the case, where it was still very much ingrained in the culture and people still very much, at least, you know, supposedly attempted to live their lives, at least in some accord with those principles or that enterprise, a lot of fucked up shit still happened, right? And in some cases worse. So is it, is it that much of a cause for the fucked up shit or not? And that's, you know, I'm really, mm -hmm. I'm very convicted in, in, the first part of what I just said, like, I do think we should not give up on that enterprise. I think, you know, as, as culture develops and as our, as technology and, and the world complexifies, more novelty emerges, the landscape of meaning emerges with it. And as a result, our language and our understanding and all the things that we use to refer ourselves to that expanding landscape of meaning must be conveyed in that primary enterprise of of religion, of the, you know, trying to discover what is of the utmost meaning. So when the landscape of meaning grows, that enterprise must necessarily adapt with it. And I think it's potentially the case in today's world that the landscape of meaning, you know, digital worlds and complexification of the modern world has exploded. And that enterprise of, let's say the religious enterprise has not adapted to accommodate that world of additional meaning. And perhaps that's why we feel like a, a distance or separation from it, because it seems less relevant. But I don't think we should give up on it at all. I, I think we need to refocus, if anything. And I'm not, I don't ascribe to a particular religion for what it's worth. 
but again, I, I wonder how, like, I want to blame everything. I, I want to blame a lot on that about, you know, the death of God sort of idea, but God was around for a long time and fucked up shit keeps happening. So what's, what's the deal? Well, I'd point out that you know, part, part of Nietzsche pointing out the death of God, like one of the pieces in that statement was about the idea of like unchaining the, the earth from the sun in the celestial fear, sphere. And one of the ideas is about how science itself in, in uh, being able to kind of exhume the unknown was able to kill God because of all of this prior idea of sort of what uh, I would contest as more of the mystery as might be understood in religion versus the unknown. Uh, cause for people to sort of abandon this thing and think that they could answer everything with science, which were like very, very deep in that hole at this point in time. And so I yeah. think it's very difficult to try to recover the, this idea of that maybe there is something meaningful to that mystery. This is an argument that's been called the God of the gaps argument, which God has now been pushed to the gaps in science. And that's where God exists, right? And so as science uncovers these gaps, and it continues to say, oh, actually, we, we do know what dark matter is. Well, you can't find God there anymore, right? And you have to go all the way to the beginning of the Big Bang and say, God was the one who started the Big Bang. And then they go, oh, nope, expanding, contracting universe theory, whatever it is, right? So, like, you just can't use God to, uh, you know, God used to be in place of science. And all the greatest scientists throughout history uh, were heavily Christian, like, for the most part, you know? So, I don't know. It's just this. Uh... See, the thing is, is I, I don't, I don't yeah. think... I mean, it was definitely used as this throughout time, but as a primary purpose, I don't think religion was used to explain away natural phenomena, for example. I don't think it's like a pre-scientific enterprise. I think it was the enterprise of discovering the, the thing of utmost meaning, right? Not the, not the is, but the ah. And as a result, like you can complexify the is as much as you fucking want. I don't think it at all derails, or at least I don't think it should, maybe you're right that it does, um, the enterprise of determining an op. Like in the, uh, begin the, the, in the beginning, meaning. yeah, God definitely was the explanation for all scientific phenomena, uh, you know, pre 1500s or something like that. And then as that. people- I don't know about that. I, uh, so. I yeah. mean, it's, pr it's pretty common a... when you go back and read the text. I, don't, I would just say that the whole, there was this pre, scientific mind even where they didn't even conceive of you know the science right. really because science was born from alchemy and alchemy was a heretical fork from the church pretty much so i don't know that it's fair i think it's almost arrogant or, or we're just trying to apply our current like we take for granted that we have a scientific viewpoint on reality and we're trying to just apply that backwards i think there was a time you know based on the books i've read where like people there was no conception of the is even it was just kind of like you're engaged in this ought all the time with nature and there's not like i don't it's hard to put into words but it seems something different than science so when you look backwards and well, say oh they just thought there was some guy in the sky that controlled all of science like that doesn't right. capture right. that's not how it was no yeah <laughs> so what but i wanted to say I about um action well so just i'll flesh this out a little bit here's because all act this is fucking praxeology right all action is individual and speculative right you can never know what the consequences of your action will be because the future is always unknown unknowable so faith is faith is like this indispensable part of action in a way like you have to have faith in something to take a step you're having faith that your fucking leg won't break 
to even have faith. You have faith in science ultimately, because science is fallible, right? Science is not absolute. It does change and evolve and adapt over time. So it's like we've, we've perhaps gotten so far into this hole of being able to define what is in really high resolution that we think we can ultimately just explain away everything, in, you know, including faith itself, not seeing that we're having faith in the very model through which we're observing reality. And when you push this to the, to the limits and you get into like the quantum domain, like logic itself dissolves, logic, reasoning, time, like all these things just fucking dissolve according to science. So it's like science saws off the branch on which it rests at some point in, it, in its furthest reaches today. Um, well, I, I think this is all so interesting because this, this runs headlong into a lot of my work, Rob, is that, well, first Heidegger, he's very pedantic about that. Like we can't have access to ancient ways of thinking unless like we really try to understand linguistically what they're trying to express. And then once we can kind of start understanding that, we understand that their pursuit of truth was something fundamentally different from ours. Mm -hmm. And part of that was like the, the technique that sort of is the scientific discovery and the way that we sort of fused that up with the, you know, the, the model of being able to have an, an if then hypothesis. Uh, and all of this has transformed our thinking and it's blocked off the access to this other way of thinking or considering things. And I would also distinctly point out that the death of poetry and modernity is directly related to this and the reason that it's no, no longer utilized as an expression because language has died in the same way that has uh, made poetry and able to express itself in the same way that we don't have access to, to understanding that. Yeah, I'm in all this really esoteric shit right now. We've swapped out <laughs> our psychotechnological software suite and that comes, there's costs to that, right? Like, and so exactly. we have to remember that. It's like we're operate, we're mm -hmm. running an operating system that was not being run 2000 plus years ago. So that we're going to have blind spots, just like they had blind spots about science. We have blind spots today. Um, and I wanted to get the will to power thing is interesting. I don't, I'm not super deep on it, but I have a current view that, you know, power is amazing. That's what we're doing with economies, actually. That's what the division of labor is, is we're harnessing more power, more human power um, for the collective than we could operating in isolation. The problem is when we violate the private property, personal property of others, right? So it's like this game of how do we harness the maximum amount of human willpower without crossing this bound of one another's property. Mm -hmm. So we need that, like, to me, this almost is the, I feel like praxeology is very close to is and ought, like it brings them very close together in private property. Cause it's like the is, is everyone is self-owned, self-responsible, self-sovereign. The ought is harness as much fucking power as you can. So long as you don't violate the property of anyone else. Like that's the game, that's capitalism, mm -hmm. right? So this is like, we needed the proper teleological binding towards that aim and capitalism, you know, the U S free market capitalism experiment was the best one we had up till this point. And now Bitcoin just takes it a step further. It like makes that, that line of private property that much more expensive and difficult to violate. In addition to giving us this incentive to like monetize energy and, you know, harness more power, frankly. So I don't know. That's just one way to look at it. I do have, I, sounded very pessimistic on the political thing. I do want to express one point of optimism. Did you guys see this Pierre Polivre? He's the oh, member yeah, of the Canadian guy. Yeah, yeah. 
he did a 20 minute video you know he's great basically he's been watching what is money to the fucking (laughs) yeah the floor and just grilling their ass so maybe there's some hope there that i'm not seeing that you know maybe he's connected with um foss and booth and all those guys up in canada he's 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 a hodler yeah i don't know if you guys listened i don't know if you listened to the last congressional hearing uh you know that was on quote-unquote cryptocurrency did anybody listen to it i listened to it it was like four hours long i listened to it in its entirety and um you could you could hear like you know there was all the same bullshit that you're used to hearing there were a lot of different interests there people were talking about shit coins and this and that brian brooks who used to be occ and is now over at bitcury uh was was actually like you know he was shilling for ethereum but he was actually like breaking down a lot of why bitcoin is valuable proof of work is valuable so like I don't know. I think the message is getting through to the political class in some, and everybody, everybody has their hands around the elephant in their own way. And they think it can help their own political cause. And like, the truth is like, that's bullshit, but like, they think it can. So like, yeah. they're going to basically invite it, the horse in because <clears throat> they want, they want the cash, you know? Yeah. Rob, to your point. This was the last person at Coinbase that I tried to orange pill. Because I used to always <laughs> do these presentations to people like when they would join. So Brooks was like the last person when he joined. And I like, I tried to like cram my crazy shit down his throat and he's like, oh, this is like interesting. Yeah, I'm like I'll look into it. You know what? He's got, you should listen to his congressional hearing. He's gotten better. He's still deeply in Ethereum's pocket though. I, I mean, let's say, like, Hodel, sorry, one last thing. If they do invite the horse in like that, then I think we could see more of a dis- dissolution of the political structure versus this like coming battle between Bitcoiners versus the state. Like it if they bring the horse in, then we just dissolve the structure over time. So I think that, that we gives also, me some dude, hope. This is a thought I wanted to throw out is that um, I think we grew up in a fiat society. And because we grew up in a fiat society, we often use the language of war to mean, you know, you know, just all throughout the day to analogize and to, you know, use metaphors. And, you know, we talk about things being destroyed. We're going to nuke that. We're going to crush that. We're going to do battle with, we're going to war with, you know what I mean? Whatever it is. And, uh, I think most of those, most of that language does not serve us anymore in a Bitcoin sense because Bitcoin is peace. Bitcoin is a peaceful technology. Mm-hmm. And Bitcoin doesn't do war with anybody. Bitcoin just exists. Bitcoin's not looking to destroy anybody. Bitcoin's just looking to exist. You know just what I mean? Uh, Bitcoin doesn't even know that people hate it. Right. And so, like, for me, it's like I've been trying to find the, you know, this is a little bit of the Michael Saylor thing where he's like, you know, uh, show up with a smile and be helpful or whatever he says. Right. And I've been trying to be more that way because I think partially it's just like <laughs> Jensen said this amazing thing to me, which he was like, you didn't get here early to Bitcoin because you were so smart. You got here because you were a young, dumb male with stupid ideas about the government. And I was like, ah, that's totally what it was. <laughs> so I'm trying to be I'm trying to be a little more grown up and a little less aggressive and stupid and you know, rhetorical. Wow. Look at it's this. Difficult. M- maturing in real time. <laughs> Um, but Rob, one, one of the things about praxeology and that kind of stuff that I think is, again, why the religious enterprise is so important is, is what I think those systems do is they say, okay, truth is unobtainable. We, we can never know absolute truth. What is the best true enough to orient our behavior by? And, but you can't, you can't determine the best true enough without a constant, never-ending pursuit of truth, because you're always readjusting the true enough to make sure it's as close to truth as you can, you can get to. 
And I do think that is the religious enterprise. And Rob, you mentioned faith. And that's why I think all of this, there's an element of faith in all of this, whether you're an Austrian economist, whether like whatever there's because truth is unobtainable because you can't hold absolute truth in your mind, let's say, all you can do is determine which true enough am I going to orient myself by. And that schism between true enough and true is faith, in my opinion. And so I think the religious enterprise is, is really that. It's the thing running in the background that says, all right, guys, as a civilization, we need a true enough because the true enough orients and orders everything else. Okay, how do we make sure our true enough is always the best true enough we can determine? It's by pursuing this enterprise of trying to discover or uh, relate to ultimate truth, right? If you can, even if you can never actually establish it, it's the enterprise itself that is the benefit. And, you know, to, to the point about science and modernity and stuff like that, it's like, who, like, are we, are we better off now? We live 40 years longer. We got Netflix and iPhones. Who gives a fuck? Are, like, what is the element that gives life its meaning that, that, that you can say optimizes like the, the momentary experience of life. Like, are we any, we may be more technologically advanced, but even that it's like, well, what's the benefit is, is the technological advancement positive if it doesn't yield a positive result in relation to our highest aim. Right. And again, that's a somewhat, that's a religious thing. What is, what should be the highest aim? And like, you know, you, you look at, people today, or you look at people 4,000 years ago in ancient Manoa, and they look pretty fucking happy back then. Maybe they only lived to be 40 or 50, but they were doing backflips over fucking bulls and eating figs and hanging out in the sun and titties out all the time. Like it looked pretty fucking awesome. Right. And it, it, as long as they're, so it, it, the reason, so I think it boils down to meaning, right? So it's not like yeah. When, we when we compare previous eras and today in terms of technology and science and advancement, like, I think we should like hold way back on assuming that we're advanced in any other domain than having more complexity and novelty available to us. But if that's not translating into more meaning and joy and beauty and, and contentness and, and, a, and a higher fidelity relationship to the unknowable divine, mm -hmm. then who gives a fuck about it? It's bullshit. Yeah. Well, then it's I mean, bullshit. To, to me, like this is what modernity is, is it, it's replacing that institution of God, whatever you want to call it, with the state. And furthermore, part of the state's religion is science. Uh, and if you guys have a chance to read any Giorgio Ambigan's work, his, his most recent uh, series of essays called Where Are We Now that he wrote after the pandemic, because he was from the very beginning, he was scorching with his condemnation of what was going on. And he just wrote a series of, of really excellent essays that were critiquing it. But one of the things he points out is that like we've replaced religion like as an institution with science and we're doing all the same politicalings that were once done in the institution of say the church with this idea of science, you know? And like it, it's really embarrassing because what I'm watching is the loudness of people relegating their own means of understanding the truth to the state and its authoritarianism and that's why i see people like out in the middle of the fucking field with a mask on and like we're and to be clear like we're all dumber because of that because we like yeah. see him and we're like is there a reason he's like wearing his mask or is he like actually a fucking idiot and the fact that i have to ask that question makes dumber. me dumber <laughs> but it's like well, it's like the, like, uh, 
We don't. We don't. Like my kid. Well, my kid's sick for like the fifth time from school, you know. But but we're all wearing masks inside the whole time, and then it's supposed to work. And then like I talked to a normie about it, and they like set up their straw man that they're so proud of, where they're like, duh. But the surgeon wears a mask too, so ergo, mask must work. Well, this is like to your point, Eric. Like, we we don't we don't hashtag test the hypothesis. We hashtag trust the science. Mm. Yes. It's faith now. Faith. That's not science. Science is you you give me a hypothesis and I just destroy it. I rip it to shreds. I try and break it from every angle. And then when I can't. Then it's true that's enough. Science. That's the 100%. point. Right? True, enough. true enough. True enough. Yeah. That's a great and point right there. Because science is fucking questioning. That's what science is. So when you say I trust say, the science. Thank you. Thank you for poking holes in all of my stuff. I'm super curious yes. to know if my hypothesis is actually true. And I value you for bringing to me the fact that there are holes in my hypothesis. Yes. But we live in 2020, so I'm going to make sure that I suppress every aspect right. of the information that you're trying so, to convey because it conflicts with mine. What I'd echo back to John is so that true enough is what the American pragmatists call pragmatic truth, right? It's like they basically mm. say that ultimate reality is a thing beyond words, beyond logic, beyond description. It's ineffable. So like, you're never going to get there. Just give up. What we can do is discover things that are true enough so we can map the territory of reality as best as we can. But it's a mm -hmm. process that has to be conducted continually because reality, surprise, surprise, is always fucking changing. Look around yeah. you. Does anything ever stay the same ever? No, it's always changing. That's the only constant in the universe. So we have to engage in competition or work to discover pragmatic truths and map this territory in yep. useful ways for us to orient ourselves. And even like to get to, back to the point of faith, even the core axiomatic presupposition of Austrian economics, man must act. We even take that on faith. Someone acted, asked Mises, how do you know man must act? And he said, through observation. So you're having faith in past observation that human beings have to act. Basically, like it seems like a pretty good presupposition because you can't figure out how the fuck you can't not act like it's, you know, two physical things cannot occupy the same space at the same time seems like a good thing to have faith in. Um, yep. But I don't for like me, it's the highest value is highest value is just freedom within the bounds of others individual self ownership. Like if you just honor that like get as free as you fucking can. But so long as you don't cross that line of life, liberty, and property of others, that seems to make a lot of logical sense to me for, for civilization. This, this it, line. Isn't it amazing that we live in a, it, I was just going to say, isn't it amazing okay. we live in a time and era where like this, simply setting up this boundary of saying, hey, like, I'm not going to violate your property rights. Like that alone has made Bitcoin the most radically powerful apparatus in human history. That really has to have you turn around and go, what in the absolute fuck is going on with society <laughs> right. that just by having property rights respected that we've created the most valuable thing humanity has ever discovered it gives you something to chew on. Yeah, this, you know, this, this lying thing versus the truth, like the reason the truth is paramount is because if you don't, uh, if you don't have the truth at a certain point in time, you'll follow essentially the wrong direction for who knows how long and it destroys your life because you're left to sort of wither in denial. And so when you have like, you know, institutions uh, telling you direct lies 
and then you believe them because of their you know institutional grade power this is just yet another version of time theft right not only am i stealing mm. from you know the, your productive output i'm i'm also destroying your life because i want you to follow you know the beat of my drum which leads us to nowhere mm. yeah yeah I, I said this the other day that um because Max and I talked about this for a long time about Rothbard's ethics of liberty. And he was saying he has a sticking point with lying because it's not technically a violation of anyone's property rights. And Rothbard even says like, it's okay to lie, like say whatever the fuck you want, as long as you don't violate someone's property. But Max is like, that doesn't jive with me, you know, especially being kind of a Petersonian follower. Mm. As I was thinking to myself, I've been thinking about it a lot. I'm like, yeah, that's fucked up. What's the deal? And I don't know. My intuition is that I think lying is violating your own property rights. Cause like John, you mm. said once when you lie, you create a fork of reality, right? Mm. And that fucking fork is going to break at some point. Like whatever lie you told, it's going to break in the truth of time. 100%. Right. So what are you doing? You're basically stealing from your future self. When yeah. you have that reckoning, that day of reckoning, whenever it comes, your future self is getting robbed in that time because someone would have put their faith or trust or money or whatever in you. And when that day of reckoning comes, you have now damaged your future self. So I think lying is stealing from your future self, basically. Yeah. To I, this point, that's, to that's this interesting. point, I'll go ahead. Man. I was just going to say, I mean, I think that's interesting and even it makes sense on a, on a timeline like that, but even as an immediate, like if, if you, if you, if you believe or hold as true that, telling the truth is the best way to co-create with the structure of reality, whatever that might mm -hmm. be. Right. But if your main objective is the, 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 the truest true enough, then the only way that you can engage that is by yourself being the truest true enough, right? Like doing your best to articulate and be a representation of the truth. And if you don't do that, even in the moment, right, even the, in the, in the very action that next follows that you've created incongruence with that co-creation phenomenon with between yourself either the yeah the, yourself and the 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 force that uh animates reality or some something to that effect when i was a when i was a kid maybe i was like six seven i uh i remember telling a lie and it didn't sound very convincing and so i thought to myself if i believe this lie i'll be really convincing mm. so i believed the lie and then for a while i i held the truth and i held the lie in, in two hands and over time, the truth faded away and I forgot what it was. And still to this day, I only remember the lie. I have no idea what reality was, you know? Wow. So I fucked myself. <laughs> I, try not, I try not to do that anymore, you know? Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's well, and, and, and kind of what's going on. Lying, like, like, this is what we're taught by the world. We're taught to lie, to, to steal, mm -hmm. to cheat, you know, that there's no God, there's no, no point to these things, like, why do all that? And all of that, like, makes sense in fiat world, because, like, we're so deep into this crime that's repeated over and over, and we've watched it happen again and again, that when we start to come up to these ideas about truth, like, one, one of the things that I think is so funny, like, uh, this idea of God is really charged and conflictual for people because to, to try to admit that there's something higher or more powerful than them seems really ludicrous, particularly when you look out into this world, which I absolutely understand. Like, how can there be a God when like my government blows up brown children who had like nothing to do with a conflict and they refuse to apologize for it or punish anybody for it? Like, how, how can a God exist in a world like that? 
you know, and, and it deeply troubles me. And, and through my own ideas of who God is and how he operates in the world, I make sense of that. But if I didn't have all of my experiences and education, yeah, I'd totally be atheist, reject that shit totally, be a hardcore leftist communist and know like we just like we just have to get the right people in power to make sure that like we can implement the authoritarian plan that'll like stop hurting people. We'll just like put them in camps instead. Um, yeah, all the other times we did communism, Eric, it wasn't real communism. We're gonna do the real thing, the real communism. Exactly. It'd be great. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and this you is know, the thing and like that the state is a lie, by the way. It's a living lie, right? Yes. The idea the very premise of taxation, saying that I have more rights or a higher claim to the fruit of your labor than you mm. implies that you are not one hundred percent individually self-owned and implies that i am more than 100 percent individually self-owned because i have the right to your labor essentially that is the lie we're living out this lie and we've lived we've lived well, it so and- long to to hodel's point we now take it as truth we think we yeah. think the state is truth we live in it and if I, we I existed having- in an era where they they actually gave us a form of security and safety that was not like if we lived in a time of roaming bandits and I was like, yo, Rob, like, like, give me 5% and I'll like get whatever mofos come through. You'd be like, yeah, okay. Like that, that sounds makes great. Sense. Makes sense. Yeah, but that's fine. I renegotiate that, every year. You know, the form of security and safety that the state represents, I think is, is really alarming because I, I believe it's existential at this point in time. Because what's going on with, with not only nuclear proliferation, but the way that this panoptic security device is getting set up. Like to, to me, like this thing represents a fundamental end of human history. We're talking about everybody being watched all the time for any reason and spied on anybody for any reason they want. Like that is terrifying. And if we don't break that, it's very alarming to think about the form of humanity, if we can even call it that anymore, that comes out of that, you know? And uh, it, it, it's very troubling because a lot of people don't see this shadow growing exponentially every day because it's really clear also like, uh, this new Omicron thing that they're freaking out about. It actually seems like it's going to stop the whole pandemic. Nobody's died from it yet. It seems to be quite quite moderate. And, and when this comes out, they're still going to implement vaccine passports across the board because that's what they want. They want a global digital ID system. You know, and I think most people will comply with it just because, hey, we're two years down this road. Why not? I want to go to Paris. Let's go. No, it's, <laughs> dude, I, I was saying this thing. Um, I was talking with a friend and I said, you know, yeah, I was like, yeah, I, I don't necessarily uh, believe in like the total, you know, destruction of the state, obviously, because first of all, I think you have this problem where the nukes are never going to go away. So you're always going to have a state because someone's going to control those nukes. And then the other thing I said was, I was like, I believe that essentially if you leave a free market alone long enough, it will end in slavery. And then, you know, you need a governor to a small governor to check that, you know, so the market doesn't end in slavery. And my friend was like, well, don't we have a slave system right now? And I was like, yeah, fuck. So maybe there's no way to escape slavery. Because essentially, the governor that was supposed to put a check on slavery grew so large it did slavery. So it was like, no solution, you know? And, and I was like, Anarchy, my, my, man. My, my ideological bubble just dissolved, you know? Look, like, this is why I'm so interested in the individual is anarchy is all about the individual and giving them the empowerment so that they realize the state's a fucking joke and that you'll take care of yourself, you know, and, and, and furthermore, like now I don't have to play the game of politics either. It's all about engaging individuals on their level and the amount of empowerment that they can take on, you know, and furthermore, like 
I don't expect this to be a society of egalitarianism and equality. Like I expect it to be one of maximum freedom and liberty. And that's going to mean very different things for different people because of the skill sets that we bring and the capacity to operate in a new and different world, but better than living in the box. In terms of just like general pragmatism, I I think that I've um, divorced myself from all left-right politics as well. And I'm just focused on being the... (laughs) the best me that I can be. You know I mean? it's like, that's all you can do. man. They reduce you to that, you know, but well, you say reduce, but like, again, what is a greater yeah, cause better than life. that? I yeah. mean, that that's the whole point of existence. And again, back to the religious enterprises like that, that whole enterprise was meant to try to support that uh, mission to try to like help people mm-hmm. determine that. And like, again, I know it's been so, it's become so corrupted and and perhaps uh uh irrep, irrep, irreparably so yep. is, if that's the right word <laughs> but, uh, that's the right word. but but yeah like it's that, a hard word I mean, to say it's a tough one yeah but uh, you know that i don't know like back to the point i just want to ask you guys about this because i didn't get it in last time but like we're we're saying how that relationship with death ultimately like if it's not the complexity of the tools you have access to that determines the utmost meaningfulness in your life, nor just the number of years you're around 40, 50, 60, 80, whatever, then what is it that, you know, your relationship to your mortality, let's say, like, what is it that, that informs like the, the utmost meaning and therefore like you could call it the utmost advancement like i I jokingly referred to like the minoans but it's totally that totally possible that like that civilization was far more advanced than the one we currently have you know again we can't really peer too deeply into the 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 past in that way but like looked like they were healthy looked like art and culture and stuff was very rich looked like very little instruments of war and that kind of stuff looked like a lot of uh wealth and, and, and abundance, beautiful climate and environment and that kind of stuff. Maybe they only live to be 50 years old or whatever, but like, wh- wh- why is it that we think we're more advanced today? And also like, why is it we think we can rely purely on rationality to see us through the existence of, you know, where consciousness meets reality, let's say. Like, that seems to be something that pr- pervades uh, modern culture, but I don't understand. Like, mm. I don't understand the rationality of it. I guess. I don't I think, understand uh, the rationality of it either. The, I think that the experience of the encounter with death and admitting that will happen to you forces a kind of authenticity that permeated most of former societies, and because the you entirety of alone. modernity. Yeah. Yeah, much more so, but but much furthermore, so. the the entirety of modernity is is engineered around this idea of avoiding that you will die and that you need to come to terms with that. Exactly, uh, and that's caused for this whole inauthentic self to unfold out. That's created uh, this spectacle society that is nihilistic uh, in so many different ways that uh, the discovery of this idea that God could even exist or have any potential meaning beyond the material world is, is so radically different from most people. They couldn't accept it without lots and lots of work. Um, and so like, uh, while we have all this technological advancement where we've clearly regressed spiritually so deeply that like 
why the fuck else would you regard the state as a god and like let all of this stuff happen to you and be so disempowered by this system like you know we talked earlier about like if the founding fathers came out here like yeah this place is such like an insane nightmare and you know like (laughs) this isn't just to celebrate like what happened before but like the very real fact of that like right now anyone could kick open one of our doors black bag us and disappear us and like that shit happens in this reality you know and like there's this apparatus out there that has created nuclear weapons that could destroy all of humanity you know like there is a surveillance apparatus that gathers huge sums of all americans data all the time like these are all very real things that i think are particularly horrific that couldn't even exist before modernity you know, you talk about these surveillance apparatuses and like these things are from like evil novel ideas and it's reality now. So I, yeah. I think shit is really fucked up in a pretty extreme way. And it has a lot to do with the spiritual suffering that that we very we have very in a very real and deep manner. And because we don't look at it, we allow for all this really fucked up stuff to happen to us that essentially makes us husks as people and empty bodies to be pushed around. Think about, um, Eric, like think about out where you are in Silicon Valley or like, you know, you, you used to be there and there's, you're still near there. Like, I mean, there are a lot of people there who literally believe, they literally believe there is a chance that they're never going to die. They believe that. Yeah. They have conferences about it. They sit on these little red bean bags and they talk about the fact that they could live in a world where they're never going to fucking die. What insane dystopian sci-fi horror movie am I living in where that's a real thing that quote unquote smart people think like we have, we have totally lost the plot entirely. And by the way, I think it's interesting, like uh, on, you know, your relationship with death and how much death you've seen and how it can sort of break you out of modernity. Like I've seen a lot of death in my life. Um, I've probably like been there at the end of life for six people, like held their hand while they were dying. Like, you know, I'm going through it right now with my mother. It's my sixth time doing it. And I've been to like 10 or 15 funerals. I was talking to my wife the other day. She's never been to a funeral. She's 30 something years old. She's never been to a funeral. Like most people have no relationship with death and they don't realize that like uh, this ends, this is temporary. You live in sort of like a temporary realm of potentiality where like you can, you can push on matter and shape things and make things and do things that you can't necessarily, you know, you're never going to have the ability to do if you don't have like a you know, temporal body or whatever. And it's like the, um, the idea that like, I don't know, man, like I'm always thinking about my death all the time, every day, ever present, nonstop. That's what I live my life for is my death. It's like a, you know, it's like a spark you guys, ethos or something. I think you have to be ready. Do you guys, I mean, that, that's the key, right? Of, of living like an optimized or full life is, is being ready to die at any moment. I know it's super cliche, right? But like you're, you're having your quote unquote spiritual house in order and live, living in a manner that's as unified or aligned with, you know, the, the highest or utmost principles that you hold such that like, it, should the moment come, there's not like this huge gulf of, immediate regret and wanting like you know that you've lived in accord with you know again if lived in accord with what that's what the enterprise of religion is trying to figure out right you know and yes it, it devolves into uh it devolves when people try to say you should right because it should be a collaborative enterprise of continually refining what those things to be in relation or accord with are 
But I, I, I keep coming back to this notion that, I, I mean, I don't think we can do without them. I think like, like Rob said earlier, and many have said before, like there's a God-shaped hole in your heart or whatever the quote is. And you might not like that word and you might not like the associations that have previously been ascribed to it, but it doesn't mean that you, you don't have the responsibility to figure out what to put in it, you know? I, I really appreciate this line of, of reasoning and questioning, John, because I, I, I feel like in the last few months, because uh, I've been doing a lot of studying of Heidegger, that like I finally sort of like married up my full story. And like to me, like this is what I'm calling the ontology of crypto, which is about trying to explore and discover this. And that like part of part of this process is the discovery that like there is truth and meaning to the world. And Bitcoin is part of the proof of that, like through the actual physics that it operates through. And that like that discovery uh, not only is a very important personal event for one's own being and the recognition of that being, but like as this kind of permeates out in the world, like it becomes this world event of people recognizing the same thing and having those same changes of their own being happen to them that causes for them to come in alignment in the same way that we're all in alignment as well. And the only way that we came in through that alignment is through this autodidactic pedagogical approach that Bitcoin forces upon you from multiple different uh, fields of study. And it's really interesting because I, I feel like any combination of the, you know, maybe three or five different fields, people can arrive at it from their own direction. And that's one of the more fascinating things of that process. And also like as people get close to this form of truth, there's uh, like, I think all of our own contributions are this form of worship almost that like we want to call attention to it and uh, proselyze in the, in the same way that the word evangelical, for example, that's just the Latinized word of, of the good news. You know, we, we want to spread the good news of Satoshi's gospel and the possibilities of Bitcoin. And I mean, like, this all sounds pretty religious and maybe it becomes that way at some point in time. But well, I mean, you, you know. can re-scientific it too because you could say what is good right what is good in the sphere of physics and what is good is what works right what affords greater freedom what affords more movement across space and time and uh more want satisfaction so it's like it, it it's very very pragmatic like it sounds religious and metaphysical but there's also this very deeply pragmatic aspect to it and i don't like maybe it reconciles with people. It's like, once you, you look deeply enough into science, science will tell you again, there is a truth beyond words. There's an ineffable domain that we cannot penetrate. So you could just consider God as the placeholder for that. Like you can't put a word to it. So, you know, wisdom traditions chose God effectively. So even if you're just purely scientific, atheistic, rationalistic, like there is a place that logic cannot go, whatever that place is, what do you call it? A lot of people have called it God for a long time. A lot of religions call it different things, the sacred. Um, but it, it seems like the question you asked earlier, John, you know, what, how did we get so far off this path and just thinking that, you know, trust the science and that's the only answer to everything. Everything else before this is, um, you know, archaic. It seems like the pendulum, it feels like a pendulum swing, actually. It's like the, technological advancement of science get let us harness so much power right we have this global division of labor 
We have the digital age. We have all these things that have economized our action and allowed us to harness greater power. But so maybe we just put too much faith into that. Like we start to think this trajectory just goes on forever. That science just keeps giving us more and more and more power and there's no trade-offs to it. But not like we, we start to think, we think into the future linearly, like we think it's going to keep going this direction forever, not seeing that it's, there's a pendulum, right? It swings back and forth. Um, and so maybe, I don't know, like the technology gives us this unprecedented power to harness, ability to harness power, but then the state is sort of like this, I don't know, uh, toxic casing around markets that needed to bootstrap them in a way. Like we needed a little bit of protection from violence, even at the cost of despotism and private property plundering, maybe to kind of bootstrap capitalism into what it is. But perhaps now that we're a global society and we have the discovery of something like Bitcoin that we can now evolve past that. We don't need this husk or this casing of these economic enclaves to allow us to harness power. We, we have this new uh, immutable ledger of property effectively that, that displant or supplants the need for the state, something like that. Yeah, I think Probably, one Noah, the, the state, the state and capitalism worked really well back on a gold standard because there's a way to actually keep the state accountable. And what we witnessed mm -hmm. during, you know, both World War One and World War Two was the full breakdown of this equation through the state of emergency where the state could hijack the entirety of the economy, direct it towards means of war, get people off a gold standard and start printing money infinitely. In my opinion, like this is where everything went completely off the rails because World War II also is the story of that state of emergency carrying it through it ending. But part of how it ended was such a horrific thing had happened. There was no way to turn back. And so all you could do is crank up the amount of fiat that you're dumping into the thing. And I think it's of, of the most important interest and irony that like through the state's paranoid development of cryptography to where it was that like we got all this super powerful shit such as the internet that like now is actually starting to try to unfold all of this other stuff. And I do think it's really important to realize that like the internet is a technology and cryptography is a technology so wide and encompassing and novel and different that like there was no possibility to even consider or think about the possibilities that such things offered us until they had been invented very much in the same way that Bitcoin hadn't allowed for us to think about a world or a future where something like this truly existed and was permeating out into the world. Yeah, I, I think there's a certain amount of determinism to technology. This is kind of the sovereign individual thesis, right? Like at this, like to get us to this point, there was always gonna be like the pure anarchy was not possible, right? That the, 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 the uh, logic of violence, as you know, a term we're all familiar with, necessitated a form kind of like this. And yes, you can have the United States versus North Korea, but they're both in a similar domain, right? You're not going to get pure, like the the rewards to to violence are too great in this technological era to have that thing, that ideal that maybe every free thinking person throughout all of human history would have wanted, right? And so, like, we're we're kind of strapped to. The technology at our disposal and i think as a result of that like right now i see less and less utility in, in like complaining about like oh woe is the world and the way things are because they are the way they are because that's the way they are and all we can do is 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 try to maximize the benefit from the shifting landscape of technology and how that changes the relationship between well how that 
how that confers greater sovereignty and ability to remain sovereign on the individual. But Rob, to, one of the things you were saying about how we engage technological advancement and what we do with it. I mean, again, I think, I'm, I guess I'll keep coming back to this fucking thing for the rest of this conversation. But I think as we trade, evolve, ask questions, manipulate our environment, right? As we try to innovate in, in various forms, whether that's, you know, uh, you know, uh, fucking seashells or, or arrowheads or whatever, or internet and stuff like that now, there needs to be, in conjunction with that enterprise, to what end, mm. right? Or it's, it's inevitable, to what end? And I, I think the, the religious enterprise was part of informing that to what end. And if you don't have a to what end, I think it's inevitable you devolve into chaos or power games or or destructive competition, let's say, or, or that kind of stuff. And that's why it was so centrally important because, you know, okay, the 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 rapid acceleration and the advancement of uh, advancement of technology. Obviously, we know it's a double-edged sword, right? You can have nuclear power, you can have nuclear bombs, but your to what end is what kind of guides that impulse. And like, I'll go way out on a limb here and just look at era civilizations in the past. And I do wonder how much the, the, the sophistication of the religious um, architecture of a given civilization influences the very process and, and impulse for innovation. So like, let's take 2500 BC Egypt. And we'll say like, did they come to such a sophisticated uh, religious architecture that they reached a certain height of, of technological sophistication in support of the religious enterprise largely, right? So like basically what I'm saying is does the, the relationship you have to the, that, those religious questions, those two what ends, those oughts, does that inspire, does that cause to manifest the very things that are well, it, seem, it seems like it must, right? It seems like if those are true, then they most inspire and direct your behavior and therefore you manifest them in the world. And did they come to such a sophistication in that domain, which then manifested in the world that for like 2000 years, they were basically, I don't wanna say unchanged, like, cause culture still happened, but like that, you know, 2000 years, that civilization looked largely very similar mm. versus now. And there's, of course there's other factors, but Versus now, like, are, are we so untethered from the to what end, to the ought, to the meaning that there's just rampant manifestation of the chaos of our own collective minds with no real direction? Mm. And what should we expect to be the outcome of that? And the final, the final point on that is like, I think that the to what end, at least for culture, and this is a book that I'd love for you guys to read so we could discuss it sometime. I'm going to do a book club on it soon, but it's The Origins and History of Consciousness by Eric Neumann. Really fascinating book. Uh, a bit of a slug, but extremely fascinating. But, you know, the basic thesis is that these religious stories are attempts to both describe and evolve the relationship of the conscious mind to the unconscious mind, right? The unconscious is where all potential resides. The conscious mind is where order has coalesced. And the archetype of the hero is the one who leaves the comfort of the known conscious mind, the, the habit and the order that's been established 
and is able to delve most optimally into the, the dangers of the unconscious, not be consumed by them and come back out with something of benefit. And all the different characters and stories and representations of religious myth is in his thesis, playing out the, the most sophisticated representation of that relationship. And it becomes more sophisticated over time, right? So in the cave art of Southern France, like you have one representation of that in the, in the female like uh, goddess cults in, in 10,000 BC Turkey, for example, you have an element of that. And then you fast forward all the way to something like Christianity and you have a way more sophisticated version of that. But in his mind, it's, it's still that. And so the, the, the to what end of culture and, and, and by the way, the, that process playing out optimally leads to an optimally integrated self, right? So someone who is an, most optimally integrated with their conscious and unconscious mind in order to bring about the best good that, they, that they're capable of. And the role seems to be of culture is to have the, sof the sophistication of that understanding be manifest in the culture to support a further refinement of that very process such that it can be more refined and improved as time goes on and people can be more fully integrated people and the very evolution of consciousness because I think that's something that we often forget but you know like Neanderthals probably well they may have had the same you know 100,000 years ago humans may have had the same structural brains and bodies as us but obviously we have a far more complex consciousness because our world, we're contending with so much more meaning out in the world. And so consciousness is still under evolution and it's probably experiencing a rapid evolution right now because of that dramatic expansion of the world of meaning that I referenced earlier in no small part due to like the digital landscape opening up and all the different things that that facilitates. Uh, and so the what end of these religious enterprises is using the wisdom derived from them to manifest the best possible contribution to the culture such that it supports the further refinement of an integrated self and you know a <laughs> a, a more enlightened uh, experience of reality or something like that you know and so that there is a to what end right and maybe that's all wrong but it's, a, it's somewhat of an explanation but if we don't have a to what end, like, aren't we just driving like a hundred miles an hour blindfolded on a road, like that we don't have directions to. So Something it's towards, like towards a higher resolution mapping of reality. Something yeah. Like that. And, and grafting yourself onto that optimally to, you know, co-create with it sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. It's really interesting. I'd love to read that book. I know you'd love it, man. Peterson speaks highly of it too. Um, yeah. You'd all love thing, it actually. You should all read thing, it. One thing I'm wrestling with that. now, um, and I'm going to be talking about this, and we've got a series coming out soon on Lila, the book Lila by Persig. Oh, yeah, he, yeah. He makes this whole point that's, you know, we inherited subject-object duality from Aristotle, basically. And that, so that is our psychotechnology. That's the bedrock of our psychotechnological implementation. We think I subject, I think, therefore I am, and then object, everything outside of me, external world. He just annihilates this. So this describes how it's too low resolution. It doesn't actually accurately map reality. And it's a whole thing. We talk about it for 30 hours. But interesting here is that if you believe in just subjectivity, right? 
that I, I, I'm living my own truth. I'm a postmodern. Whatever I say is real. Whatever I say is true. Then you're led to nihilism, right? Because nothing you do matters. Whatever you do is your own truth. You do whatever the fuck you want. There's no disciplinary orienting force in the world. You're just a floating blob of uh, pointless action, basically. And on the other end of the spectrum, you could believe in pure objectivity, right? That inorganic clockwork Newtonian universe just percolates up into consciousness, but everything is predetermined because it's all clockwork, right? It's mechanical, it's objective. So you get, there's no free will, right? It's just determinism, which also leads you to the same conclusion, which is weird. It's like, cause nothing you do matters because whatever you do is already written, right? It's already predetermined, do whatever you want. So both of these things, you know, this pure subjectivity of postmodernism or pure objectivity of determinism leads you to the same nihilistic conclusion of just like, who gives a shit, do whatever you want, nothing means anything. So it's really interesting how, like, and you're describing this, like the hero kind of going from the, the structure of the known into the unknown to try and harvest some new information to then graft onto the hierarchy, the known hierarchy to expand its growth. But that hierarchy is, it's manifest externally in the civilization, but also internally in the psycho-technological conscious framework that he and others are using. So um, again, it's this, I think there's this, there seems to me to be this primacy on dynamism or relationship that we, that we ignore in our static conceptions of reality. And I think, you know, when I read the Bible now, like, there's a lot in there about that. It's like, don't, you know, idolatry is like the number one fucking thing is idolatry is really bad. When you think some static representation of reality is reality, that's wrong. And it's getting to like, you know, you can read the Lord as spiritual law or God, you know, the, the, the Sanskrit root etymological root of the word God is gut G H U T. One of its meanings is to barter or exchange. So this idea of mutual interaction always existing, like all things co-originate, co-determine, all identities intertwined. There is no objective or subjective. It's all conforming in some way. So. Uh, you know, what's interesting is uh, I have this sort of pure um, objective view of things of my own life. And I, I don't really believe in free will. But it hasn't led me to nihilism. Um, and the reason it hasn't led me to nihilism is that this is my own philosophy. It's not, you know, I combined it with, you know, basically Buddhism. And I, I think this is all like a, a loop that I do over and over and over again. Or maybe there's different loops, whatever. But like, essentially, I, Love. it's like getting on a, a ride at the, at the theme park. Like, I'm on this ride. I chose this ride. That was my moment of free will. And then everything from there has been deterministic or whatever. Um that's my own personal philosophy or whatever. And it doesn't quite lead me to nihilism, but I totally understand what you're saying, how it could lead someone to nihilism. I think that could also be, you know, often you hear the terms conflated love, truth, and God, right? God is love, God is truth, that kind of stuff. I think that could potentially be one of the roles of love. Like you, your rational mind might be stuck in meaningless nihilistic loops, but your access to love is what makes it uh not that way it transcends the, mm -hmm. those you know loops that you might rationally put yourself in something like that well, well one of the yeah, that's interesting. qualities of law like in particular agape right the love you have for your child um one of the defining qualities of objectivity is that it's measurable in some way how do you measure that though how do you measure your love for your child it's like 
it diffuses it's objectivity. It's absolute. But again, that's why I think that's why, again, God, truth, love, absolute are so often terms that are used interchangeably. Because when some, and that's why, you know, Bitcoin inspires a lot of this language, because when something is absolute, like it's, it's a really hard thing for our limited consciousness to even wrap our heads around. And it, it lends itself to understandings or lends itself to being put in the, the realm of things that we understand most similarly to it, which for whatever reason ends up being something like love and, 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 and truth. And Rob, to your point about like, conforming to that reality again like i i keep coming back to this notion that I, it seems very absurd to think that our and let's just say like when we talk about reality we're obviously only talking about the the experience of reality that human consciousness has right because who the fuck knows what it is out, outside of that so that's as far as we can really probe but it's the assumption is that it's a vacuum there are no invisible forces that act on like the, the deepest layers of consciousness. There's the laws of physics and there's like senses and all this kind of stuff. But let, let's say there's no parameters for meaning. There's no laws of meaning. Well, I think that's what the religious enterprise is saying. It's saying like, maybe not, maybe there is, and, but they're the, the, the hardest things to discern, but also the most important things to discern. So let's put all of our brightest minds together and all, you know, for, you know, the, the, be it the central enterprise for civilization and try to figure out if we can discern through actions taken and what results from that, what does it say about the thing that we're trying to conform to or co-create with? Maybe it says something. Maybe it says that if that by virtue of the fact that if you act or think or experience or feel or derive meaning from X, Y, Z, these things, and the result is these things, maybe we can infer some relationship between uh, the experience of those things and the environment in which that experience takes place. And I think that's kind of what the enterprise is about. It's, it's, it's saying like, there, you know, meaning is and 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 god maybe is like the ultimate meaning maybe it's an absolute or objective value and the the hunt for it the search for it is so important because as you were saying before rob like we push we we take things from our unconscious and then integrate it into our existing hierarchies and those those higher those hierarchies are constantly moving and shifting and we want to have them structured optimally so we can move through the chaos of existence optimally right and and having properly ordered hierarchies is like how we make the decisions that allow us to do that. But the, 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 the tricky question of, well, what's at the top of them, right? We've talked about this before, like something will subordinate all other values, mm -hmm. call that God. And the, the quest is to determine the thing that best subordinates all other values, such that you, your hierarchies are optimized, such that you can move through reality in the best way possible to co-create with it, something like that. Which is really interesting when you consider that every action you take is an expression of your highest value. Totally. So we say God's at the top of the hierarchy of value, but so is action. 
So it's like this pre it traces back to it, right? It may, yeah. it may be a representation of a lower value, but ultimately it traces back to the highest one, I think. Well, I guess what I'm getting at is like, there's just something about this, like clearly everything we're doing here, we're just ex exchanging maps of reality, little static fragments through words and whatnot. But there's this pre-intellectual cutting edge of reality of action, of praxis, of the present moment, something like that. And that's where you know, when you go into meditation, what are you doing? You're kind of diffusing your mind of all of this to just completely go into that present moment. And in that moment, you find eternity, like you get out of time and space and mind. You're close to God, I would argue. Um, so there's something really interesting about that. that and it connects to praxeology. I, this just blows my fucking mind. So <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, there's, there's like relevance to the words that we've come up with to relate to these states like of course there is right that's what we use words for to try to mm -hmm. relate and articulate and externalize some of these things and like when you were saying that like when you get into that no mind state for me it's a profound sense of peace mm -hmm. right peace just don't like just flows over and through me and why is it seems rational then to me that peace would become such a high ideal such a worthwhile ideal to pursue uh, like, that's why I think it emerges in those moments and makes you feel that way. And therefore there may be some relevance in trying to establish it or manifest it in other areas, right? The, the broader idea of peace, not just like inner peace and, and quiet of the mind, but like peace between one another. Mm -hmm. I think maybe that's why it, I don't know, has, has some kind maybe, of, maybe we should take I'm, a, I'm a clue from that. Is, the, is there any way that you can guarantee that peace? What, what I'm trying to think is I, like, I, I, feel, I don't know, Eric. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, what I was trying to think Because I think cryptography. Like... Laggy Magoo. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, no, I was waiting for you guys. So, so look, was, like, this oh, is no. why we have to use cryptography, is the way that language is failing and the way that language doesn't work is that we need to have cryptography to actually be able to prove and verify to one another the truth of what is being stated, specifically the yeah. economic exchanges between us. Furthermore, the time chain of Bitcoin is a panopticon of all transactions that have ever happened that derive from one another. So we can look at all transactions immediately and be able to truth tell about it with total assurance. That's, that's a very different experience from any other sort of exchange that we've had before. Furthermore, because of the protections that cryptography offers in the non-physical nature, this now is a, an object of fundamental peace in a way that, that's distinctly different from anything that's ever came before. And this is also why I think it amortizes the eschaton. Like it is a literal non-physical object of value that seems to realign how we are as people. And it also seems to directly challenge the state's power with the state being this like radical evil thing. It was all like some weird shit, man. But like, it's really important that we think deeply about it and actually consider it seriously. Because I think so, most people yeah. kind of brush it off as being crazy. My point is actually an addendum to your point, uh, which is, you know, essentially like we were talking about, like, how do you keep like the third generation from fucking this whole thing up? Because, you know, what Eric said is, is uh, profound and it's true and it's creating this new reality that we're all living in and we're still trying to grapple it and get our hands around it and everything. Um, but it's true endogenously only. It is not true exogenously. So as the Bitcoin blockchain operates with the world, the world is full of lies, half-truths, narratives, and bullshit, right? And so it's essentially like, how do you instill 
into the culture of hodlers, uh, especially your children, who are you going to be directly passing down your Bitcoin wealth to? How do you instill in them this idea that if, let's say, a large state or a large bank or a large whomever wants to come to them and borrow their Bitcoin with the promise of, you know, uh, five times or 10 times the amount of fiat dollars that are going to be printed and backed by, oh, we're going to give you this much, uh, you know, farmland for your, your contribution to the war effort or whatever it is. How do you say to them, essentially, this is not our aim. This is not our goal. This is not what we do as hodlers. What we do as hodlers is, I don't know, establish a thousand year peace. Is that cheesy? Is that something we're actually trying to do? Does it work? Will people hold to that line? Like what, what are we going to leave them with? What are we going to imbue in the culture that's going to prevent human nature from bastardizing this thing? Because mm-hmm. yeah. this thing is fucking perfect right now, but it doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that is the risk. I think the biggest risk to Bitcoin is Bitcoiners. Like people mm-hmm. that, because ultimately it's a choice, right? Choosing these rules, choosing this protocol versus anything else. And there's a relationship there. What are you choosing? What are you deciding to uphold? Are you deciding to uphold? Is that relationship flexible? Like all of these things. And, and we're still both figuring out what the answers to those questions should be while simultaneously asking the questions that you just asked, which is, well, once we figure out what we think is the right answer to them, how do we convey them? How do we immortalize yep. them? How do we ritualize them so that other generations don't fall into the traps or don't fall prey to their own hubris and arrogance and apathy and ego and all that kind of stuff. And again, like, what are we talking about? We're talking about ritualizing the things of the greatest meaning while still trying to understand them better. Right. That, and it's what religion seems to be about, right? It's like, we're, we're coalescing around the things of the that we think are the greatest meaning. And we're trying to uh, communicate and package them and preserve and refine them in the best way possible. And, you know, Rob, I've been, I haven't read like the Bible or any of that kind of stuff yet or the Quran, uh, but I have been messing around on Bible hub to, you know, polish off this piece that I mentioned before. And uh, I, w- when I read it, you know, I, I certainly see a lot more in, uh, wisdom in it than I ever previously did. But when I read it, what I like the kind of lens or framework I try to put on it, it's like we've all had powerful psychedelic experiences on on this call, right? And I think those are ineffable. Mystical experience, access to the present moment, nirvana, enlightenment, whatever you want to call it, it's in that domain. And so when I if I was to try to articulate that, there would be a massive gulf between the experience and the actually having the insight and what my words convey. And I try to approach the Bible like that, like with the passages that I've been reading. I'm like, okay, they're taking something that's, I mean, as ineffable as that experience and maybe extremely similar to that experience of, of that's access through psychedelics as well. And they're trying to codify it in the best way possible to try to imbue it and, and, and preserve it and communicate the meaning of it optimally. And that's a hell of a fucking task. And you may say that they've done a shitty job of it. I'm not versed enough in them to, to make that commentary, but I think they, at the, at a minimum, you got to cut them a bit of slack because that's quite the, the operation. But I guess the, the broader point is like, that's exactly what you're talking about. When we find things of the utmost meaning that are critically important to the, 
to how we live our lives and how we uh, interoperate and cooperate in society and culture, we need to find ways to take the hard fought wisdom of the past, of our, our, our past refinement and exploration of those things and build them into the structure of our families and our cultures and civilizations so that we have an increasingly greater bedrock of, of those principles. And that gives us a chance, right? Like I think the American experience is in some ways an example of how even if it's you, you do all that, it can go off the rails. Right, yeah. but if if you if you don't make the attempt, you're really fucked. I and think if, if if anything, I think it's really well said. And as Bitcoiners, we should have gained a little bit more respect for what the biblical corpus is. Right? The how many hours do we spend wrestling with just the idea that is Bitcoin? It's like we thousands of hours we pour into this thing, trying to analogize it. That's essentially what. The whole biblical corpus was right people wrestling with this ultimate ideal you know exactly. many different people across generations wrestling with it rewriting it editing it like it's not it's a distributed cognitive effort it's not one guy sat down and wrote the thing so yeah my intuition is that we have to anchor to that somehow as well and I'm, again i just i speak through the christian lens because that's what i'm familiar with i'm not excluding other religions doing the same but like just the idea in the Bible of honest weights and measures, right? And the one time Jesus completely lost his shit was on the guys that were had their thumb on the scale, basically. Like that has to mean something. That is very relatable to Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is just this unwavering scale, right? A value that we can all orient ourselves to. So that's my intuition that we need, like if we're going to ritualize or, or, you know, enshrine Bitcoin in some way that can survive three generations that it needs to be at least attached to the biblical um, and Christian well, tradition in some way. Here's the kicker. If Bitcoin really is that meaningful and important to the enterprise of humanity, let's say, uh, I think all that will be compelled, like in inwardly compelled, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just like, you know, presumably it was for all the different religious traditions all around the world. It's not like you know, some people are up like fucking codify this and push it out as hard as you can. It may have devolved into that later, right? Because power and ego gets involved. But I think it's by virtue of the impact of the principles that are imbued in these, in this case, religious idea, or in our case, the principles instantiated in Bitcoin. I think there's a lot of similarity between the two there, but the power of them is what compels the individuals to not only be transformed in their own lives, but compels them to see the importance of doing just that, of, of having the conversations like we're having right now, of determining what and if, what rituals should be uh, constructed to preserve that stuff. And then a bunch of people are gonna, you know, everyone's gonna have their own way of answering that question. And then I think through, you know, over time, the ones that are the stickiest will remain and will have a growing uh, collection of rituals that sanctify the principles and practices that most optimize this technology for the benefit of the individual and, and, and collective. And I, like, I, and I've noticed a lot of Bitcoiners um, being in, becoming like having a renewed interest in Christianity, for example, and myself included, right? As I just said, like I'm reading these words with a lot, with a, a very different lens, a very different lens previously to the extent that I did before. But I, 
And I think that's, there's like an immediate gratification in that too. It's like, oh, I have this impulse for higher ideals or higher order or higher truth now. And I want to take like, oh, well, Christianity's here. And it's the one that's kind of been around my culture the longest. So I'm going to take that one on the shelf and adopt it now. I think we want to do the lower time preference thing and not be hasty in gratifying ourselves by like answering that question and kind of filling that that gap in our thinking immediately by just taking something off the shelf and just recognize that there's a lot of wisdom and insight in those things but let's investigate it and and pull out that wisdom and insight and see and contribute to the evolution of 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 that enterprise i guess and maybe you know so so in my opinion it's like not to call it not to just adopt one but take them all and, and, and pull out the principles and see what is compelled or in, how it impels our behavior as a result and what emerges from it. Because, you know, all of this is an evolution. If, if Neumann's uh, thesis is correct, or and even if it's not, like religious traditions have evolved over the ages, obviously, right? And so what is the next step in the evolution of this in a globalized world, right? Not all these different geographically isolated cultures that bubbled up their own relationship to the unknown let's say or to the highest principles now that we're a globally connected culture it seems rational to think that a a more globally relevant or unified approach to that enterprise would emerge and so here we are trying to figure out what it might be and like you know you, you've got something like bitcoin that that seems to be standing very much in the center of that and we're trying to figure out why that is you know so the point there is just um, you know, um, there, I think there's an impulse for the for the divine, basically. Uh, but but to not be not gratify yourself too quickly and not be too high time preference with filling that that void, because I, I think there's something far grander at play. And I, I think if we can be patient with it, but also actively involved in it, we may come up with something that's, well, you know, tremendously beneficial for us all. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of, that's part of the project that I'm working on, man, is like com combining psychedelic practice with a form of liturgy around Bitcoin possession. I think it becomes something really important in the future. And to me, like using the psychedelics as part of my belief is, is exposing people to what I'm calling more and more the mystery, but this idea that uh, there's like an infinite number of possibilities versus the totality that is the universe is like a fixed number of things. Uh, but exposing people to this unknown, you know, the infinity, the, the experience that has psychedelics and pairing it with cryptography and this ability to generate a private key and knowing that this private key is your own personal secret that only you and God will ever know. It can never be regenerated again. This is your personal thing that through holding this secret and owning it and respecting it and cherishing it as a secret that it should never be shared with anybody else that you now create this new form of power with yourself and to yourself in the exact same way that you have a psychedelic experience and you see a profane illumination that you can never describe or give to anybody else, but you know it has a much deeper and more profound truth than anything else that is given you. And shit, you fuse this with intergenerational wealth from you know great, 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 great granddad Kaysen, who is smart enough to, you know, leave me a 10th of a Bitcoin in the year 2485, you know, and like, I'll, I'll, there'll be like some low resolution image, like shoved in a UTXO that like, is a meme of like me doing something pointing to them. And they're like, God damn, like, 
Grandpa Kaysen must have been a crazy guy. <laughs> I right? like it. No, as if, as if Bitcoiners me. needed another uh, another reason to be called crazy. Now we're we're getting godly. We're getting God into the mix of it all. Well, it's a joke until it isn't anymore, you know. And and when look, and when the state is is openly shooting people in the street and extracting money from them openly, and people are like, "Wow, those Bitcoiners had it right." Like maybe there's a real reason to all this. And like I, I personally very much believe through this like Heideggerian pursuit that I'm doing is that like Bitcoin is the fundamental human event of 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 all human history, where like man comes to the recognition of what the self-sovereignty of the other means and how like that unlocks infinity, you know, because at the end of the day, like each one of us has a soul and through that conduct of self-ownership, you can make yourself vastly and infinitely more powerful than I could ever do. And so like, once we've rearranged the whole world and order it in that way, like what's going to happen to the, to the solar system is extraordinary. It ties exactly back into what John was just saying is this whole enterprise is just mapping, effectively mapping a higher resolution map of reality. So like that's what Bitcoin is saying, hey, turns out we all are cell phone. Who the fucking thunk? Well, here's a technology that honors that truth. Mm. And that literally just annihilates all this fiat deception around us just by saying, it's like, it just maps to natural law, right? You own yourself, the end. Well, right. going, and it goes back the to the pre-fork that like was statism. So like instead of us using statism as our fork for law, we're like, yo, check it out. This like God thing like worked well when we actually use that map in a meaningful way. And we don't have some asshole navigating yes. us who's like, oh, yeah, like it's Which, well, right. But that was, go that way that was Jesus's two main teachings, right? Love thy God, love thy neighbor. So it's like honor the sovereignty of whatever this ineffable truth God is and then honor the sovereignty of your fellow man. Right. And, and the, yeah, the, the, the really trippy aspect about it is like the, the religious enterprise, at least, you know, the Christian one, one of the primary principles what the, was the discovery, let's say, of the divine sovereignty of the individual. And now, as Eric and Rob, you guys were just saying, now it's at, that that principle has actually been instantiated in technology in the world. Right. It's gone from a hard fought, you know, multiple generation real- insight into the world it's emerged into yeah. the world and uh you know it's that leads you down some pretty now. weird yeah exactly exactly yeah, and it, it makes it makes real the libertarian dream or you know the ayn rand dream of the, the idea that doing well for yourself is doing well for everyone because you know you you making uh you know decisions making capital allocation on the bitcoin network using bitcoin capital you know, you're producing higher signal, higher value for the entire world by doing that. And so it's like, it's finally real. The thing that everybody talked about for so long is finally fucking real. He's got to jump in. Well, now it's a, it's a real capital allocation divorced from the state, which is extremely important because like capital allocation done through the state is like causing for the state to continue to grow in its metastasized and parasitic way. Whereas like the, the sort of sharp break that Bitcoin does with statism uh, in a lot of ways, like, the idea of anarcho-capitalism was pretty laughable before Bitcoin, but like Bitcoin was able to like actualize anarcho-capitalism by essentially like going between the capitalists and the status and like putting a knife in between them and being like highest dollar to whoever kills who first, you know, and the, and the anarchists are like, good, sounds like a good plan. But to be clear, the status are like, well, the capitalists clearly are going to do this too. So we should take the knife and stab them and take all their money, you know, and that's sort of where we're at right now. And it'll be fascinating to see if Musk actually like 
you know, puts all his wealth into Bitcoin and fucks off somewhere. It does kind of feel like the communists and, and the crony capitalists are fighting it out. And we're just sort of watching with our popcorn from the sideline. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're going to sit this one out. Fuck off. Yeah, and you can. To finish off that like whole Christian point, this gets you right back to the Lapis Philosophorum Philosopher's Stone of Alchemy. It's like that ideal, John was just describing that insight. The whole aim of alchemy was to get that ideal into something that we could use and like actually implement it. And it's like, oh, what are we talking about here? It's like, oh yeah, well, Christ taught us this. And it's like, oh, well, Bitcoin honors that and enables that. So it's just... This is the rabbit hole to me, man. What is <laughs> and, and to me, like, this is all this scaffolding that, like, as we build and understand all of these things that, and everybody can go through this process, and we've all done it in our own unique ways. But to me, what's so important is that there's this moment of turning and recognition of understanding that, you know, frankly, Bitcoin is the most important event of the 21st century, and maybe even all of human history because of what it enables. And we're only saying this 12 years in. When people watch this shit 200 years in, they'll be like, wow, those dudes saw it that long ago. Like, keep in mind, it took 400 years for Christianity to become an official state religion anywhere. In addition to the fact that, like, you know, frankly, we got a lot easier than Christians. You know, like, they were all getting fucking crucified pretty early on. So we should feel pretty great that that's not happening to us at this point in time. While it all sounds... Well, I was just going to say, while it all sounds ridiculous, like, let's keep in mind, the internet is like a fucking insane thing. If you talk to anybody 100 years ago, being like, check out this thing, they're like, what kind of fucking paint are you huffing? Like, nothing like that (laughs) could ever exist. And so it's really important to get that, like, we can now do all this shit that could have never been thought of before because of what we have. And then you pair this with encryption technology and how we can resist any power the state has. I mean, like that, that's pretty divine to have all of that given to us right now at this point in time. Yeah, I, I think, you know, one thing about the state, you know, the Roman Empire adopting Christianity, like maybe that's when it kind of went off the rails because the state was like, oh, here is like the, the thing that people yeah. use to engage reality and most orient themselves. Let's take control of that and use it to our own ends. But, you know, I, if you read history, right, it's always about persecutions, right? Oh, there's a religious persecution here and religious persecution there. And like, and I've come to, to think that like, if, if religion is simply the enterprise of determining the framework of how best to engage reality, right? And I think that's pretty much what it is. Then every persecution is ultimately re- religious, right? Like the one that's happening now where like the anti-vaxxers are derided and they're, they're the scum of the earth and they should be sent off somewhere or whatever. Like all that is, is a difference in how this group of people and this group of people thinks that they should live their life, how they should engage reality, how they should confront a supposed threat. And at the end of the day, like Rob, to what we were saying before about like how each action reveals a value or a part of your value hierarchy and it can probably be traced back to the very top of it or the very foundation of it and i and so it's kind of led me to believe or think that like maybe you know as, as history is told like in the moment it doesn't seem religious almost perhaps but maybe throughout the course of history like the religious the 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 framework for the reason why they are being persecuted which is how they chose to act ends up kind of having religious uh, associations put on it because it helps explain to the future reader why that person was thinking or diverging from the 
the uh, the mainstream or the 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 desired way of operating or engaging from the authoritative power or something like that. So like it, it I mean it's again like the theme of all this stuff tracking back to religious sort of notions I think is is accurate because if we accept that it's all about how you know that's just the enterprise of how best to engage reality well if you're if you're divergent from another person that wants to dictate to you how to act and how to behave well what they're saying is I don't think your your way of engaging reality is the right one and I want you to do differently and what religious says what religion is all about is trying to determine what the best way to do that is and also that nobody can tell you how to do it, that you are the one in charge of determining it for yourself, i.e. you are sovereign. And those two simple things are, you know, obviously being completely dismissed in, in today's day and age. I got to read that book. <laughs> <laughs> I got to jump, guys. I got to call. But this has been awesome. All good, man. All right, brother. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Until next time. Be well, sir. Take, Take care. care. We buy, boys it's funny how we... I mean, I'm, we need a I'm word. Pretty soon. We need a word like <laughs> namaste. You know, we need like a... Yeah, yeah. I recognize the sovereignty in you. Yeah, and that's how we like... That's how we should greet each other and say goodbye. We'd be like, sovereignaste. I don't know. We, we got to <laughs> workshop it. Well, I mean, you know how um, upstream data, I think like one of their their huts or something was called like an ohm or like ohm like you can easily eric this is kind of to your point like you can easily see a point in the future where like these these temples are set up and there's miners like at the altar and everyone just comes in and they just like they ohm with the sound of <laughs> of the miners and it's some sort of spiritual practice or endeavor Burr. <laughs> I've i've been wondering when are we going to start burning when are we going to start burning coins, you know, in a ceremony with uh, Eric up in the redwoods? You know, that's what we really. Oh yeah. Like that'll, that'll be part of it. You know, and like, we're like, we all do like a, we like consolidate UTXOs together and destroy it yes. and like put a state like into the destroyed UTXO set, uh, you know, or there's all sorts of stuff, but it's really important to like start exploring this stuff and seeing what fits and what doesn't fit. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like this is all going to permeate on its own because of the natural capacity that like it is and how it wants to function and what, like exactly exactly what I'm trying to do is like really fucking cool and so like I can't see other people not wanting to like you know, <laughs> go do drugs out in the middle of nature to like have profound experiences you know that you then anchor back into this like meaningful human institution of like people that want to liberate the world like yeah it's fucking beautiful and amazing and I think it. It's also really hard for us to speak about this religious component right now and not feel crazy. And I think like there, yeah. there's literally no accessible way to do it yeah. because it's so deeply pejorativized in society is that, but like the longevity of what is Bitcoin is going to outlive that. And so like, maybe it's going to be my children or somebody or like their children, but at some point people will be like, no, like this is the truth machine that protects us. We can see it through all the insanity. And my truth is, is like, this is why we need to go through essentially what's becoming more and more clear is going to be World War Three is that like, we have to watch the communist AI thing play out with like death bots trying yeah. to destroy us. And we need God to like organize in all of these ways. It's going to happen. Eric's right. It's already playing out. Why right the now. fuck are you guys excited to hang out with me in the gulag? <laughs> like, is this about me? You know, because like, I'm, I'm just talking about how we're all going to get to hang out. <laughs>
Listen, we're already I mean, in yeah, the digital gulag, gulag. You know, we're already in the digital gulag in one degree or another. You know, to quote oh. to quote Michael Saylor, can always be worse. So let's focus yes, on exactly. making it better. It is. Yeah, well, good job yeah. on that interview, by the way, John. That, that was a that was a good interview. I appreciated watching that. Yeah, thanks, man. I um, it had a de- it was definitely a different vibe than uh, than our first one. Like, and I don't know if it was me or him because you know years gone by. But I think I think maybe he was a little less excited or excitable than before. Not that you know I don't try to get him to be crazy or anything. I just try to have a normal chat with him. But you know, like conversations involve the mood and the you know demeanor of two people. I, I thought I, I haven't listened to it back, but like on reflecting on it. You know, I think it was, it showed uh, an interesting, I thought it was an interesting conversation. It just didn't have like the um, memeable moments uh, from the first one. I mean, I think he's probably feeling what we're, what we're all feeling, which is like this year, I'm just going to say, it's been a fucking slog. This year's been a fucking slog <laughs> to be a maximalist, man. It really has. Uh, you know, I've been reduced to, I've said this before, but I've been reduced to just being like, listen, I know you're shit coining, but when you're done, put your profits in Bitcoin. Like that's the only sales pitch that even works this year. <laughs> Fucking annoying. Yeah. Ugh. I don't know. Yeah, I, like I, um, to me, it's always the divide. Just like, look, if you want to build wealth, do Bitcoin. If you if you want to gamble and and you know, like try to play a speculative yeah. game, you can shitcoin. I know a lot of people have chopped their hands off shitcoining and a few that have done well with it. But at the end of the day, like it's a nihilistic throw out into the universe hoping that that shit's going to work out for you and maybe it will Absolutely. But, it's fatal you know, it's I'm, fatal i'm just not interested i just yeah, yeah it's no i'm not interested either i, I don't I, get I, it there, i have so much and you know this may be a bad thing but i have so much certainty not even certainty like i value so much what bitcoin is like i can't bring myself even if i thought there was like a hundred x on the next fucking shib or something like i i, I yeah. I just can't bring myself to give up what I could get by devoting that capital to Bitcoin and putting it in like a casino type of environment. I just, I've never been a gambler though. So maybe that's the reason why. Well, you've, you've also had like the subjective switch to where like Bitcoin is your storage of value now, but you also have all of the experience of it being much easier to acquire more Bitcoin early on. And you know, it'll be exponentially yeah. harder later on. So like that makes you like hold those coins much harder than you would like fiat or something else because of yeah, that way. Absolutely. Well, that's a big. You know, in addition like, to like, people now are like, well, each I, episode of hundred x my Bitcoin. I'm not going to hundred x my wealth on Bitcoin, am I? So I got to go into Shib or Solana or whatever it is. You know, and, right. and I, my refrain is like, well, I think you will, given the right timeline, but it's not going to happen next month. So, you know, straighten your shit up. I also, I had a weird thing this year where I. I like sort of reached some level of wealth where like most people would pull their chips off the table, you know, to where I'm just obvious. Where do I'm you obviously, well, well, no, but yeah. I mean, you know, you, you buy a mansion and a Ferrari and you put the rest in something that generates a couple million bucks a year and you go fuck off and live your life. Like that's what most people would do, but I'm an insane person <laughs> and I'm still a hundred percent in on Bitcoin and I'm going to be a long damn time. Okay, so I don't know. For me, it's just like it would shake my conviction is not worth me participating in because where we're headed 10 years from now, 15, 20 years from now. Yeah, I'm like, by the way, uh, you know, let's check the scoreboard. I'm right. I've been right. I'm right as fuck. 
still right. Right. Okay. I'm pretty sure I'm right about 10 million a coin too. You know what I mean? So why would I give up? Why would I gamble? It's going to be 10 million in the future. Why would I gamble that? I wouldn't do that. So I don't do that. I, I tell this to people and I, and it like, it puts a weird look on their face, but let's say you've got a hundred mil, right. In Bitcoin and people are like, Oh my God, like you, you crushed it. You nailed it. Like, like you said, take some chips off the table. I'm like, where mm-hmm. the fuck in this day and age would you feel comfortable parking your wealth? Right? Like you're out, uh, cash bonds, equities, real estate, like all of that has so many drawbacks to me that nothing is as pristine and, and strong and secure as Bitcoin. So like there's, there's no cash out, you know, and as I mean, all the hardcore Bitcoin this is the whole, this is the whole Plato's cave thing all over again. That convinced me that like these people are fucking morons, you know, take some of you made but where does it go? Oh, assets that can yeah. get stolen from me because of the political I speech I have. Oh, things that I can pay more taxes on. Oh, things that, that have these, you know, these black swan catastrophic bonds are supposed to be safe like do you, do you really actually think bonds are safe at this day and age and what they promise like you know and, and for me it's all of these conversations always lead back to just realizing like how authoritarian people are like there there's very yeah. little first principle thoughts that go on for most people and so like that's one of the things that's so interesting and unique is that like with Bitcoin, we're talking about money on this extremely surface level and everybody understands, you know, that Bitcoin is money, but like what really is money? And as soon as we like start picking at this question of like, what is money and value? Like all this shit starts to fall down and people are like, gee, like I, I never thought of that. Like, huh? Like, wow. Like the state can just steal your money from you if, if they catch you with it. Huh? Weird. You know, now that question, that question, this man. Is, been thinking about that shit for the last seven years, nonstop, 24 7, 365, all day long. What question? Fucked up my whole world when I found that question. Still haven't found the answer either, by the way. What question? But it fucked up my whole world. Uh, you know, just what is money? Oh, yeah. The question you yeah, literally for, for never me, thought it was about like, what? You found Bitcoin. Yeah. For me, it's like, what is the social contract? And like, what does it mean that like the state? doesn't substantiate it in a meaningful way now that it's like a much more uh, like nasty and aggressive and abusive thing. And so for me, it was like when, you know, I discovered the social contract that is Bitcoin, I was just like, what in the absolute fuck is going on? Like, how the fuck is this thing maintaining some sort of agreement with me that's like beyond the state or any other power? And like, this is really kind of where I dove into a lot of philosophical stuff and how I found Giorgio Ambigan was because he has this essay called The Sacramental Language that is about like, what is the oath? And in that essay, he pretty much like traces the oath back as like, it's the thing that fuses magic, religion and law together as like a single entity that forces language to actualize itself through the oath. Because like, if you take your oath and break it, like I gotta fucking kill you. Cause like, the, the, like you broke your oath to the gods. And like, if the gods have meaning in this world, I get to kill you. And like, that's who Homo Sakur is, this, this individual that Ambigan traces throughout history, somebody that can be killed, but not sacrificed. And why? And it's because of the way that they broke their oath to the gods and that they're cursed by the gods, they're able to be killed. And he traces that through modernity as well. Like now when you like break the law, you're like cursed by the state. So like if the state has to like make the law meaningful in any way, the state has to kill you, you know? And so like, to me, that's what a lot of, 
what's occurring here and what's so important is that like Bitcoin now actualizes this new sort of social contract through cryptography that is actualized like through the metaphysical other, the anon who's protected by cryptography, who I can never actually know. And that like this reflection and interaction together, we've now created a social contract that's more powerful than any other social contract in all of human history. And like that has pretty pr profound ramifications that I'm really only coming to terms with today. At first it was just like, oh, this is insane. Let's like follow it for a while. Like, okay, like I'm fucking crazy. But I'm realizing like I just stumbled upon a really unique set of things that for some reason God was like, check it out. You've like dropped enough acid and smoked enough weed that like you just happen to see how this stuff lines up. And yeah, I'm just coming to terms now with like it's it's real. Yeah, the point about uh the point that John made earlier about the the delta between the psychedelic experience and you and your ability to explain the psychedelic experience. I think it's something that's very true in Bitcoin also. Like, you know, McKenna called the entities you see on DMT machine elves. And if you've seen them, that does not do them justice. <laughs> I'm not even the slightest, right? But like, it's you something- You can understand you know, where like, it comes from. Yeah. You can understand where it comes from. And it's the same thing with all the, the monkey noises we make with our monkey mouths trying to describe Bitcoin. Like we just, no, there isn't a single person, I don't care how high up on the Bitcoin thought leader tree they are, who has a good explanation for this thing. Not yet, anyway. Maybe we'll get there, though. But maybe it's always going to be something that lives in the mystery, and maybe that's better. Who knows? You know? I mean, it, I, I mean, think, like, I think what it is it about will. this indescribable, this indescribable secret that, like, you get to peek under the curtain and you see the meaning of this secret that, like, you can't articulate, but you know it. And, like, I don't know, like, this to me is the stuff I find so fascinating is that, like, the literal word leading this thing is crypto, which means secret, which, like, I can follow all this etymology because I'm so interested in it. But like, to me, this is the really unique and powerful stuff that, that has me convinced at this point in time that this is like the craziest shit that we believe this thing to be. It actually is. <laughs> well, I think that's the razor's edge of like confronting such a mystery and why it usually generates like zealots of a kind, because like you have to, un you have to let the tether out of where you're typically moored like intellectually and spiritually and in all other capacities to go far enough to explore new territory. And it's the same thing I was talking about with the conscious and the unconscious before, right? Like going into the unconscious is like a type of insanity, right? Like you have to let go of all the different things that construct your waking consciousness to use this analogy and like go into the unconscious, almost like a shamanic trance, right? Where they're just like, They've let go of, of their traditional modes of behavior and personality so that they can swim in the soup of chaos and hopefully be capable enough to, in that dance, find something and take it back and integrate it and have that actually be beneficial and, and helpful. But the process of doing that looks extremely chaotic. It looks extremely crazy, right? And like the shamans are known in, in traditional cultures as like almost like... Uh, useful schizophrenics something like that right mckenna used to talk about mm -hmm. that, that a lot as well and so i think it's it's kind of the case here like this thing is so mysterious that you have to be willing to look and even be you know appear crazy in certain instances and insofar as that means like let go of the ideas and thoughts and insights that typically construct your frame of reference and your perspective let go of them enough so that you can reach deep enough into what is currently unknown to you 
and maybe pull out something that's valid or valuable and bring it back. And you're mm. probably going to look a bit insane in that process. And, you know, I think what I'm ab well, uh, about to publish maybe today or tomorrow is probably going to put me in that category. <laughs> I, I, I'm excited to read it, John. And, and like what you're talking about is that overcoming of allowing for yourself to unmoor and leave the harbor. For most people, that's the first journey away from statism of that, like you exit your cage terrified because people have told you forever that the unknown is a terrifying place. But then when you actually go out there and you experience, you know, what I like to call the mystery and part of the, the mystery of the unknown is like there are joyous serendipities that come up too that allow for you to accept and put yourself into that. And so this whole reorientation of leaving the harbor and safety of the state to discover what's beyond it, it's very, very important because I think both you probably feel similar to me is, I feel much, much safer and much more secure having my Bitcoins under my own self-ownership and my private keys. Most people think that that's fucking insane. And they think that that's very risky and a very uh, crazy thing to do. But that's the only way that, that this society can look at what we're doing. Like, it's crazy to have your money that's not guaranteed by the state. Like, it's wacky that you want your energy to be supported by energy because that could waste your energy. But at no point in time do these fucking clowns stop to be like, well, like, what is good or bad energy? You know, like, what does it mean to have real safety and security? Like, is that something that is a promise given to me by a state? Or is it something that I actually need to build for myself? And I think like these terms of self-empowerment, like this all causes for these turnings inside of us that have us learn more about ourselves, about the truth, about pursuing our own truth towards it and gaining the esteem for it. There's so many people that will never unmoor from that harbor because they're like, what, there's a storm out there. Are you insane? And they're telling me right here that if I go out in that storm, I will die. You know, and so they won't they won't even take the opportunity to, to unmoor their boat. You know, Eric, they're scared, I, uh, they're scared I, man. I was running right before this and uh, I was having a funny thought because I saw something about the Bitcoin conference before going out for a run. And I was like, I wish there was a case in stage and like you could just hold court for like <laughs> ten, 10 hours a day. And if you like, you could bring people up for conversations or you could just like monologue it for as long as you wanted. But I mean, how fucking awesome that No, be? hold on, hold on. We can make this happen. Eric, I'm going to be moderating a panel of the meme idiots. You should come up and co-moderate it with me. And we'll just go on a rant about Bitcoin metaphysics for 10 minutes. <laughs> I'm, I'm down for that. Um, you know, John, you talked to me about the idea of like doing a series or something. And like, I, I'm not sure. Cause like, I feel like I've only done like 3% of the total work to actually figure out if this is true. But like, I feel like I've finally like remixed enough philosophers like in the chain that I need to, to like finally explain this. Cause like what I very sincerely believe is that like this recognition of the truth of Bitcoin, like co uh like with an actual religious transcendental experience of knowing and understanding like what God is. And that like through these experiences, it also creates this form of empowerment that sort of takes us over at the same time because the way that we feel not only obligated to Bitcoin, but like obligation is too strong of a word. It's like the way that we're pulled to this. You know, there, there was another Bitcoiner that I was telling, you know, that I was like, look, like Bitcoin has given us more wealth than we ever thought. And like, we can walk away right now 
totally secure, absolutely fine. And yet like you're still here, like engaged in this like insane journey for some reason. And to me, like that's the providence at play. Like that, that's the secret that God's calling you to understand that there is more reason to this world than the absolute fucking nihilism and dystopia that it's produced. And other people see that way, too. And that's meaningful. By the way, this is the point of the journey where it's never been more dangerous because the eye of Sauron can see you now, right? Like they're having conversations about what to do with you. And you're like, oh shit. That's <laughs> bad. <laughs> and yeah. It's like, hey man, at the end of the day, it's like, what did you do that was you just you're a peaceful person who bought some property? You're supposed yeah, to have property exactly. rights and protections. Exactly. So we'll see how things transpire, you know. Yeah. Eric, um I, that was well put and I, you know, I agree entirely with everything you said. But I gotta ask, what and I can infer what it means, but co-obfuciates. Can you like oh and also about your the point about like doing a series, you don't have to have all your shit sorted. Like we're just gonna get there and jam and figure, you know, fall ass backwards into some some ideas and some insights, right? I mean, that's the whole point, not to show up and just, you know, uh, fucking moan on about what we already know, but hopefully, you know, discover something new. So stop being a puss and, and come on and do it. But um, what go of UCA? Tell me what that means. I don't think I was being a pussy at any point in time. <laughs> time, man. Uh, so the co-obfusiation, so like, um, essentially like the truth of Bitcoin like overlays immediately with like the truth that like is God or religion or like the single unitary organizing principle. You know, maybe we could even call this the, uh, the, the ancients, if you guys are familiar with how the word Yahweh used to be written, but like it could never actually be pronounced. There was only a recognition of it because the actual pronunciation was supposed to be a secret or a word that could never actually be pronounced. Mm. Uh, like these are the sort of things that we're also dealing with. So I think like as you grapple with trying to understand what is Bitcoin and what is the truth it's trying to tell you you start to see that that overlays immediately with like the idea of a God, you know, like there is an, there is something that you can put out into the world that can't be violated or overcome. Like if you generate these words, like I can assure you that probabilistically it can never actually, you can never get this series of words in this order again, you know? And so like we start dealing with all of these issues. And when we try to deal with how profound the sort of protections Bitcoin offers and the sort of profoundness of the numbers and permutations, these start to co-obfuciate with these ideas of like who God is. Is God infinite? Like what, you know, how does he exist in the world? So I want to yeah. part of the crazy shit. No, I'm hundred percent with you. You're gonna you're gonna um, smile when you read the thing because there's a lot of that type of stuff in there. So where are you really uh, and I mean like that I don't know where where the I other, mean, where do people release shit? Medium, give it to Substack or something. Like that. I put shit on my website. That's you should have your own website. That you know. I don't have my own website. Is Substack what people do these days? Substack's good. Medium. Do people have to 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 subscribe to to read it? I would like they have to put their Uh, to put their email in just to read it. Or Medium? Do you have to pay to read shit now? No, Medium's all free. Yeah. Well, Medium, you get three free articles, and then they then they fuck you. What? When did they start doing that shit? It sucks. A while ago. You know why? Yeah, yeah I'd uh, say say Medium or, or or something else. Um, 
<laughs> but I mean, like the other that I'd point out is that like we're uh, these conversations are important, and we're like pushing it. Like, do you really think like on a DeFi podcast they're talking about any of this kind of shit? Do you think they're like, like yeah, like ETH represents God? No, but they may <laughs> not. They may not. There. They may not see that as a bad thing. <laughs> when, when Robert was like, yeah, yeah well, and the word agape no, no, means to love old. your child. I was like, agape are. Can you yield farm that or? Like, what, you know? <laughs> well, agape means like a wider love for like humanity and stuff too. Like right, I love right, that right. you're not going to like get reflected back to you, but and, no, and like this is really important because like this bleeds out into our own culture too. Um, and like it's really important we're talking about this and getting people to entertain it because like this is also part of that whole ontological turning that I've been talking well, about. It's like by us talking about this, we're we're not making it as crazy. You know, like now yeah. we've established sure. the crazy boundaries. So like other people are welcome to journey here. And they're like, well, at least we're not as insane as Kaysen or that hollow guy. <laughs> it's true, you know, but really they're just looking in the mirror at the end of the journey. Like, hey, see you in five years, you're going to be like this, you know? <laughs> yeah, Eric, you give people the uh, the crazy cover fire for their own craziness, you know? You're like the, the dude in the meme of crazy. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> <laughs> no, no i'm not saying this but some guy on twitter said that maybe bitcoin's jesus so like, <laughs> don't hold me to it i mean everything that happens in crypto in shitcoin land just fiat using blockchain technology you know that's all it is it's fiat games with blockchain oh, totally. bullshit by the way dude oh my god have you guys fucking have you gotten sick to death of the word metaverse yet? Because I'm ready to kill the next person that says it to me. If I have to hear the fucking word metaverse one more, metaverse. Who, 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 who tells it to you? Who like? I, oh my! Ev- it's ev- dude. It is everywhere outside really? the Bitcoin inner. Yeah, outside the Bitcoin inner sanctum, every single person is talking about metaverse all the fucking time. And here's a fun fact about the metaverse: it doesn't exist. there's no metaverse it doesn't exist and people will go the internet's the metaverse shut the fuck up shut the fuck up (laughs) dude i i interact monkey i interact with my girl and the the crew at the gym and that's it (laughs) so i'm not hearing much of metaverse these days well see i'm still talking to noobs on clubhouse all the time and i'm are you still on that shit is clubhouse still yeah i'm trying i'm trying to funnel them into bitcoin and oh, I keep wow. having to, they go, but what about the metaverse? I'm like, oh my God. I'm doing Dude, some what? Toshi's work over there, boys. Yeah, I was going to say, you, I mean, you are, tough. you are. Congratulations. I mean, that's hard shit, man. Yeah, I, would, I fucking um, hate that. I've been doing that all year. I've just been funneling people <laughs> well, to like I, maximalism. I can't stand this. Here's my thing that I don't understand is like, look, look, like, if you look at the world, you look at how Mark Zuckerberg fucked this place up. Why the fuck would you want to go to a new place that he's making? Like what? Like come on, guys! Like it's fucking stupid. John, you know, you know what's funny is like uh, it's me and Bitcoin Tina have changed the entire culture of Clubhouse. So you must now bow to maximalism just because me and Tina are so intransigent, and we hit you with the one-two punch. <laughs> it's fucking. It's hilarious. So, like, I, uh, if we weren't I mean, if we weren't on that platform, there'd be a lot of shit pointing up. I mean, it's probably entertaining to watch normies like come up against Tina and just be like, "What the actual fuck it's, is is it's going on here?" It's extremely entertaining because <laughs> he yeah. starts off like it's zero to a hundred. He just starts yelling at them immediately. <laughs> 
Well, it's yeah. right. Like on, on this point of like toxicity, if you will, like people don't recognize the fact that that like the only reason that this manifests as toxicity is because like us telling you the truth, you like, keep trying to like push away and like ninja around or keto, and we keep trying to be like we tried to be nice, and it's finally be like, look, your thing's a fucking scam. They lied to you about what they're doing. You're riding on the coattails of Bitcoin and you're confusing the fact of the, of like what a true monetary standard is, like, isn't just made up willy nilly by a team of guys that you think are smarter than you, you know? And it's just a really frustrating process to witness uh, like how rudimentary most people's understanding of like what economics and value and money is. Cause like, and, and like, I sincerely believe most people have never actually thought about, like, they've never took, like, a moment to actually go, like, what, like, what is value? Like, what is valuable? And I think, like, if you have real conversations about people with this, you'll witness pretty quickly that they've never asked any of these harder questions of themselves, mm. which is, you know, why they can keep themselves plugged into the metaverse, you know, jacking themselves off convincing themselves that it's a hottie like in you know metaverse starbucks doing it eric you know what they also don't do is they don't interact with these blockchains in in the real world they you go on coinbase or kraken or binance or ftx or whatever the fuck and you see a list of tickers and then you buy them on the platform and you leave them on the platform and you never interact with the chains in real life so you don't know if this chain is a total piece of shit versus this chain or which one is more robust you have no idea and so it's just like you're betting on horses and they all have large market caps next to them because of these fucking inflated volumes and metrics and all the shitcoin trading. And uh, you come in and a reasonable person might assume, hey, you know, uh, Ethereum is worth a half a trillion dollars. Like, seems like a good idea. Maybe I should put in, you know, my money. It's cheaper than Bitcoin and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we're just, we still have not found an effective way to combat this market behavior. And, uh, Toxic maximalism is not working, clearly. Although we'll get them in the bear market. We always do. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, Dude, what, I, I don't, know. I don't know how you have the patience. I really don't. Like, fuck. Yeah, doing this for seven years. This is just what I do now at this point. Like, what's up? I'm not going to be very nice about it, but I will help you. You know, that's, that's how I come at it. But, you know, the other trip is that, like, obviously the digital world is expanding, right? And this is, this doesn't get that much play. Like, you know, digital, like, remember when virtual reality was like the hot shit in like 97, you go to a virtual reality cafe and like have a headset on, it was just like Dune or some bullshit. And, you know, but we are spending more times engage, more time engaging with digital environments, right? Like phones and zoom and all this shit. And so like, we will increasingly push ourselves in to digital worlds and it will become an increasingly relevant and meaningful world. Like that seems, that doesn't seem like a very contentious notion. No, um, not at all. So it, I, like, I think you said it correctly too. It's like the metaverse is a is a moment in time when we're spending the majority of our time in digital environments, right? Like that's yeah, that's exactly, exactly. correct. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to be a NFT platform that you can invest in today. There's no yeah. that's stupid. You know? Exactly. God, I yeah. fucking hate NFTs. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, well, I, I just so hate much. that. Like that's what normies grappled on, and that like. I, I really, you know, like really we've had this off. shit around since 2014 or whatever, you know, like we had all the pep coins on, on counterparty yep. and that shit. And like the, I, the reason I'm the most frustrated about it is that like, 
I, I can see how and where NFTs could have great value for an artist, particularly an artist who like builds something that like the only way you can see the physical medium is through the destruction of the digital one. Like there's some interplay that's really sophisticated and powerful. Like if not your fucking bored apes or crypto punks, which by the way, like, like I just absolutely fucking despise that crypto punks have that name and like they've become like the the vc perfect thing that's like being displayed in all consumerist contexts and it's like being put on time magazine and like all this shit and it just ugh, you know like it's the annoying. well the the truth of artistry getting like absolutely fucking obliterated in the, the like fundamental crime that's occurring in the middle of this in, in some way it's like a profound artistic statement actually but with that being said it's not the one that i wanted to be given it's so it's so fun and and i know so little about all this shit because i i guess i insulate my attention from it all because i just don't give a single fuck you cho- you've chosen to ignore Ign- you can choose to fight it participate in it or ignore it i totally I'm choosing to fight it, it <laughs> and it seems like you're choosing to ignore it yeah which is totally valid but you know what's funny it's like you've got the narrative and all the content around bitcoin like anti-state money you know all the things that we know it is i've been talking about for ages right and some people obviously find that compelling, but the like the real like tidal wave of interest comes from see that picture there, see that digital picture, that can be proven to be yours in a sort of way, not necessarily immutable, but we can stamp it digitally with your name on it, and you get a receipt. That's that's cool. Yeah. And the world is like, holy fuck, yes, this is what we've been waiting for. It's like, oh my god, it's okay, so stupid. You know, it's you know, so stupid. You know, another, like I. I just think the propaganda machine is so sophisticated and like the propaganda machine is so sophisticated and powerful. It's not like this, the NFT scam aligns with VCs so much deeper and easier because like they own the only thing. And so if they can really big it up and celebrate it and and then get the next move on liquidity, great for them. Like they've won, the, the world is now complete. And to them, like, this is sort of the banality of evil that like at no point in time do they actually stop and go like, what, like, what is this? Is this real value? And then they give you all this postmodernist shit of like, well, like, what is value? You know, like, check, like, check out this piece of postmodern art. That's a piece of shit. Like, does that have value? You know? And like, it, it's so all nice. sophistry at the end of the day. That, yeah. And it's designed to be able to lie to you and have you accept that these lies are a truth. And that like, NFTs are the future and that they could change things. And that Ethereum is a world computer. And that like, it's all about divorcing yourself from this reality and attaching to this, this ethereal dream that's out there and convincing you that buying the dream is buying reality. And it's just it's, bullshit. And that's literally what proof of stake is over proof of work. It, it, ultimately though, isn't it a kind of a positive? Like the more obfuscated the truth of Bitcoin is and the benefit of it, means like the more you have to be as a person have to have certain qualities to access it right you have to be like i made this i made this point yeah Yeah, it's it's a it's a more robust it's a filter yeah exactly harder to get to bitcoin maximalism nowadays and don't you want don't you want the bitcoiners to be the ones with the characteristics that would have saw them through that filter this is true i think you know one problem we've been having in bitcoin um is that it's too easy to understand bitcoin nowadays like you don't have to go to first principles in order to get it, to get the investment case or whatever. So we have like a bunch of new participants who are like overly dogmatic. And I think like these types of talks that you do, John, especially like really help people like dig down deeper to first principles and get a better 
understanding of what's happening here because I got to be honest, if I came in in 2021 and I could just read the Bitcoin standard and, you know, listen to all the great podcasts, I'd be fucking intellectually lazy too. The only reason I was like, you know, robust with it back in the day is because you had to be, because it was like nine dudes talking on a forum and you had to just read what they said. A lot of it was stupid and then go think about it for yourself and then, you know, come to some conclusions and shit. And then we all sort of like came out of the woodwork and we're like, oh my God, we've been thinking about the same thing for the last five years. This is amazing, right? (laughs) But uh, nowadays it's a lot easier. And so I think people do take it for granted more. And uh, I think if you are taking it for granted, like you're not going to be able to hold for as, as long. So I would just encourage you to keep doing the work. The rabbit hole is literally endless. Like just keep going, you know, there's a lot to know. Well, and that, I still don't know. That's shit. why I think the shitcoinery arc is important for a lot of people. It's like, yeah. yeah, like go look into to shit coins. Like maybe maybe shit coins yeah. could replace Bitcoin. Like let's think about it. And like the conclusions you eventually come down to, and like uh, I remember it was probably like five years ago. I was at like a Bitcoin com or at like a blockchain conference, and I remember like I was making the point that somebody always like look like Vitalik Bullerin is he's like sitting across the room from me right now. Like I could. I could actually like set up a short on ETH right now and I could throw him off this building. And like, I would make <laughs> a lot of money, like an absurd amount of money. And like, I could see at that point, he was kind of looking at me being like, well, hang on, Casey. And I was, you know, but not that I'd actually do reading that. Your but mind. Like, that's a very important thing to understand that like, when we talk about like DeFi, like all this stuff is absolute fucking garbage and the state could shut down in a heartbeat. And that, like, we get to play this game of DeFi just because the state isn't trying to stomp it out. And, like, understanding that, like, Vitalik is an extremely powerful security hole in the setup of Ethereum. And so goes him for the founders of Solana and all this other bullshit that's going on. And it's really frustrating to have them be pro-Bitcoin and talk about how it's DeFi and that it's decentralized and, you know, all this other shit when it's just bullshit at the end of the day. You know, and I mean, like, that's part they're, of the, they're stealing why it's so our, important. To, they're stealing our language, you know, to sell things that are fake. They're selling a dream they mm-hmm. themselves do not believe in. And that's fundamentally corrupt and immoral. And, you know, like, listen, I'm, I'm telling you to go all in on Bitcoin because I'm all in on Bitcoin. But if Bitcoin goes to zero, I go to zero. So it's morally right, you know? Yeah. I it's think, not going um, zero, though. no, it's totally not. I, I think uh, I think what's happening with me is just like to me that that I'm so disinterested in that because like it's so irrelevant. Like like we said about the filter, like the filter is going to bring the right people in and, the, and the, 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 the smart ones will get it. And those are, you know, everyone gets Bitcoin at the price they deserve, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But the, like there's way bigger fish to fry here. Like, you know, like these these sorts yeah. of conversations or establishing our, our lives in a manner that's more resilient and more adaptable and actually building out the things, the families, the practices, the elements of our own personal development mm-hmm. that like we that Bitcoin actually supports. Like who gives a fuck about the all that other noise? Like there's real work to be done in building in turning into individuals that are more capable of engaging yeah. this life properly and, and constructing a culture around that. That's what I'm interested in. And I don't give, like, I just can't yeah. care about the other stuff. Well, see, I don't care about the other stuff either, but I do care about people. I care about the people coming in <laughs> and I know that they're not going to, I know they're not going to listen to me. I just, I know that for a fact, but somewhere down the line when they get fucking wrecked or rug pulled or whatever happens to them, they're going to think back They'll come and back go, battered and bruised they're going to go that fucking guy he was fucking right god damn it 
fucking annoying, you know? I remember interacting and you'll, with... And you'll uh, revel in it. I remember interacting with Junseth on Reddit back in the day and just thinking, this guy is such a piece of shit. Fuck this guy. And now I've just become Junseth. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you're here for long enough and you just are that person, you know? Dude, maybe this is like the opposite side of Bitcoin derangement syndrome. You like you like either like get corrupted and like go off to shitcoinery, or like you just become like so cantankerous about the whole thing. You like retreat into your cave and only like come out to like shake your fist every so often. <laughs> Goddamn shitcoiners, fucking morons. That's exactly where I'm at these days. <laughs> it's just it's just such a rich pursuit to like to really to have your unit of account, to have your perspective be imbued and emboldened by Bitcoin that, and, yeah. and like the world, so much potential opens up that I'm just, I don't know, really interested in exploring that and not so interested in the, in the battles that have basically already been won, you know? Yeah. Totally. And to me, like, that's the most important and powerful thing that Bitcoin gives is it gives you a kind of security and safety that allows for you to just become disinterested in all that shit and to go mm-hmm. off and be able to build your stuff. And it's so goddamn important. Uh, and in addition to like, I don't know, like the security that you get with that and the, the, the confidence and esteem, particularly with like huge market drops. Like I, I love every time the price drops precipitously. Like, oh, the sky's fall. God, Bitcoin's going to drop. Like, yeah, like panic. You should sell everything right now. Like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Nobody wants you here. It's going to, you know. And I think it's great because, like, I turned to my wife. I'm like, you know, you just lost seven figures. Like, how do you feel today? And she's like, mm. like, yeah, it's like nothing. And I'm like, that's how it's supposed to be. Bro, you know? people will come up on the stage on Clubhouse or whatever and ask me to be like, what do you think about avalanche and i'm like you should go 100 percent in that's i would do that just go all in falls to the wall sounds great just go for it yeah, yeah see how you feel <sighs> just the yeah you know, I, I, I can't I, engage in shitcoin conversations just because like it can unfold infinitely in addition to i have to be like look like if you want the next bitcoin like go find it like what like you should probably be interested in bitcoin i don't know like similar to you john like unless people are already here, like curious and asking these questions, like I'm super uninterested. And it's funny because like, particularly when like I meet normies in the real world and they're like, oh, like, like what do you do now? Like, I just tell them, I'm like, look, like I proselytize Bitcoin. Like this is the most important thing that's ever been invented. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, what do you mean? What do I mean? They're, like, it's a, it's a fundamentally <laughs> new kind of money that can never be constructed. You should like look it up. And then like, oh, I, uh, like, do you do I you actually Ethereum, do you actually do this like as abrasively as you just like acted out? I hope you do. Uh, pretty I, pretty close to because at this point someday. in time, I, you know, like I just tell I I tell people, look, like I I work in Bitcoin. I've done this for a decade. You know, like I, I've I've done everything that there is to be involved. And I'll tell you, it's the most important thing that's been invented in human existence. And I get that that's a really big statement. And I really, really recommend you take a moment to consider that I understand the importance of that statement and I still say it as such mm-hmm. so that you can move forward in this conversation in a particular way. Because <laughs> I've noticed that most people like, uh, I have a great friend you know, that I went to high school with and all this other stuff that I've been trying to orange pill him forever and he won't do it. And, and it hurts to see how much you try to give this to somebody, but because their world, you won't allow for them to take it on. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and like in our last conversation, I told him, I was like, look, I don't know what to tell you anymore. Like I've, I've, 
I've made huge sums of money from this. I've done really well. I understand it in and out. I'm telling you, this is the most important thing that will be invented in the 21st century. And it's your only way that you're going to rescue yourself from poverty. Please do this. Nope, nope. won't do it. Yeah. <laughs> nope, it's always that you way, know? man. It's like, I've been standing outside the ark for fucking seven years now being like, flood's coming, motherfuckers. Flood's coming, flood's coming. It's starting to rain and people are still telling me to go fuck myself. I mean, literally, that's that's the thanks I get, you know? Just is, but you know what? Oh just God. like a... Just like a religious proselytizer. I just fucking keep going, man. Hey, if I'm on the street corner through the little microphone being like, the devil is going to smite you all. Uh, that's for me. I do that for me, not for you. <laughs> I enjoy doing that. Yeah. yeah I, mean, well, I just feel like Terminator 1. Like, I came back in time and I'm like, I'm here to rescue you. And they're like, uh, you know, like, it's pretty good here. Like, like hang on. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> The thing about uh, so all, all of this, like the shit coin, to, to put a capstone on this, because we should probably shut it down now. But, you know, as much as I doom scroll on Twitter, like everybody else, and just see like cops in Germany with rulers, like putting them in, in between people and just the sheer insanity of it all. And then this bright light of hope that is Bitcoin, like, you know, it, it can be an emotional roller coaster, right? And I think a lot of people, especially a lot of Bitcoiners are feeling that because the normie world is so antithetical to what they think is right and then bitcoin is such a radical sense of of hope and they obviously want to spend more time in that and give to it whatever but it doesn't stop the fact that like the the former can get you down right like the the sheer insanity of everything can get you down amongst the the normal like toils of life but man i gotta say like i don't think i've ever felt more alive like it is it's crazy and it may all end in disaster but there's something invigorating about just the chaos the, the chaos and potential of it all is is incredibly invigorating there are so many um potential futures for us so many all of us on this call like we'll, <laughs> there's so many we'll see which one I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just to your point john like I feel the same way. It, it's I feel like I've like set my hands like in this machine of power and I can like feel it like vibrating and pulsating through me with, with this energy that like I can utilize. And it reminds me of like, uh, I was skiing and I got in this like pretty precarious and dangerous situation. And I was very aware that I could totally die if I like fucked up. And there was this moment of like, fuck yes. Like, like 100% all in, like, let's do this as it's supposed to be done. You know, and I fucking crushed it out, you know, going off cliffs and shit and hitting up the sides. And it, it was amazing. But to me, that's the same experience of empowerment of realizing that like, we are real humans in the world where this is this insane panopticon is being established. And like, we have this messianic fucking weapon of cryptographic truth that we'll use to absolutely obliterate this thing. Uh, and it's so exciting to realize that like, we're just like, and to be very clear, like we're just lucky as fuck, right time, right place, right situation, right perspective. Right you know, and like, that's an entire concourse of humanity, you know? And it's so exciting to realize that like, we get to be the ones that are the vanguard representing this movement towards truth in a world of insanity. And then, and for me, what I've been working on is trying to get spiritually right with that of like the very real and profound and intense responsibility that is 
to give this to people in the way that I truly believe it to be, and also that I truly believe will escalate us to uh, have these encounters of there's either going to be a really radical, incredible, beautiful future that I share with you guys, or there's a really dark one. <laughs> I, feel, I feel the exact same way. And I, you know, this has been a more recent message that I've been receiving over the last like six months is just, it's time to grow up. It's time to be a real steward of what I've been, um, you know, what has been entrusted to me by God or the universe or whatever the fuck circumstances and um we're gonna win it's inevitable right and what do you do when you win you know like mm. uh, winning is easy governing's harder right so it's essentially like where are we headed what am i going to do with the wealth yeah how am i going to be in the world you know how are we going to shift the culture these things are extremely important they require a lot of thought and you know i'm always uh I was reminded of that John Adams quote where he says, you know, essentially, I must study war and politics so that my sons might study art and literature, you know. And uh, yeah, I must study macroeconomics <laughs> because of where we find ourselves at this particular moment in history. And, uh, you know, I must be ready for what comes next. We're the guy, listen, <laughs> as crazy as this sounds, we're the guys who are going to set the world straight. <laughs> it's us there's nobody else coming to do it it's yeah, us we're you know it, you know it's and we're not dissidents we're reformers this is a restorative technology it gives us back what we lost you know and, it, it, uh, it goes back you know again to yeah. the the archetypal hero right like the hero is called forth by the circumstance right the circumstance compels them to transform into their potential such that they may confront the circumstance and reorder it optimally, something like that. And that, that fucking, you know, that, that's the hero archetype that permeates pretty much every movie, religion, story that there's ever been, you know? And so it's just, I think it's to your point, Hala, about recognizing like you're in it now. Like it actually yeah. is happening to your life. We were and, wishing, we were wishing for it and now it's real. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that, that, is somewhat sobering but i think that's also why it's invigorating too because it's like oh wow like think mm. you know things are changes afoot and and uh to your point eric like when you were confronted with like the 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 intensity of that circumstance of like being in physical danger it also probably narrowed your focus tremendously to something like whether that was like the the focus needed to maneuver the situation so that you survived or like focus on the things of the utmost meaning or like you, we could even go into like the near-death experience realm where like what happens when the flash of of near-death experience occurs and like what is contained what kind of wisdom or information or light is contained in that so yeah we shall see oh man it's gonna be fucking exciting times that's i mean listen i mean I, dude how, how, we how, planted I, a flag in the ground John, and we fucking we shifted reality around us. That's what happened. And if we can do that once, nothing's stopping us from continually doing it. So it's, it's a lot of pressure. Uh, it's, gonna so, <laughs> it's gonna get so weird. It's gonna get so weird. Yeah. Well, like the but like as we build each block on top of the next block and they continue, like the 
Like it's so important. Like this is only 12 years old. Like this thing isn't even a fucking mm-hmm. teenager at this point in time. And like we we need to hold that and the responsibility of that and the cultivation of that in a very deep and important and sacred place. And to me, this is one of the reasons why I want to merge this up with psychedelic practices and forms of liturgy is just because holding that space allows for it to sufficiently charge and like we're already extremely powerful at this point in time and we're winning more every day and they're losing more every day and so like all we have to do is maintain where we're at keep speaking what we're saying keep compelling what we've done in addition to like i'd point out that like all the content that you guys have created and done and that i've done like it's all out there for free use now and like all the ability to work through this stuff is much easier and there's light posts now and so like everything's building in the exact way it should be and when you feel totally overwhelmed at the profoundness that seems to actually be in front of us feel free to reach out because you know i I feel the same thing too and it it compels me to to you know that edge of sanity that i feel like i stand at sometimes and uh it's great to know that it's shared with with you guys as well because it was pretty lonely for a long time there and i don't really appreciate how lonely it was for a long time too you know particularly through like yeah. the i don't know but through through like the first real shitcoin boom in 2017 like you know the even mm-hmm. even with the other shitcoins before but like the the questionability of like maybe shitcoins are the answer you know and so yeah yeah how about I mean, even before yeah, that man i mean if you've been if you have a disagreeable personality like uh, a lot of us do you've been lone wolfing it your entire life until you found the bitcoiners yeah know? that's how that's- i feel definitely been my experience for yeah. sure it's I mean, the, only guy in the room for You're the only guy in the room out of 100 people who's like uh yeah hey i have a question <laughs> bullshit <laughs> <laughs> exactly I, I remember you know I, I don't know if i told you guys this before but it was like it was just pre-bitcoin it's probably like 2012 or something like that i was high as fuck with a bunch of friends at someone's house and yeah, I was like a gold bug way before Bitcoin, right? So like I was, you can kind of appreciate what my opinion on things would have been. But I remember like holding up uh, a five dollar bill to my one of my best friends, and I was like, dude, you know this like, this is not this is nothing. Like where where does the value? It, if it had a hundred printed on it, like I could get more stuff from it. Do you, have, you find that weird? Like, and he just looked at me. He was like, not tonight, man. Like <laughs> we're having a good time or something. But like it gives you an idea of how often i would bring up such uh, peculiarities about our you know current times or whatever yeah, yeah. well boys uh, that's, that sort of reminds me of uh i was just going to recount the the how funny on my first acid trip i like afterwards we're coming down i like rode my bike to the store which was like its own adventure but we like got there and i'm like pretty freaked out because there's this like person who might know i'm a penguin or you know i'm like still high and I remember like gathering up all the stuff and like going to the counter and being like, okay. I'm like thinking to myself, like, okay, like I'm going to like put this shit on the counter and then I'm like going to give him this piece of paper and like, I, like, and then he'll like take it and I just get to like keep all this shit. And like when it worked, I was like, holy shit, it worked. Like he like took the paper and I like get to keep all the stuff. And I remember like that I couldn't match his cadence at all. So like he like knew I was like weird. But at the end when I was like, oh, like I get to like keep this stuff. Cool. Like, well, it just, like, it's funny because, like, it took me being in that state to, like, realize how ridiculous this this ceremony, this ritual that happens between us with this money and, like, us having it. Because, like, it is charged and ascribed with all this meaning, but, like, it's fundamentally purposeless. And so, it, yeah, you know, I, I guess 
to that point, John, like I was never a gold bug before, but I, I always had, uh, there was always just a curiosity that I think I had, you know, along with all the other things that when I finally encountered Bitcoin, it allowed for me to be curious enough about it to keep going as opposed to just reject it like most people. So I feel yeah. very fortunate for that. Yeah. So by the and, way, before we go, one, one thing I want to uh, just say is um, I'm thinking about putting together a Bitcoin incubator at a pretty high level, you know, just to do seed capital for devs who have good ideas and stuff and build more Bitcoin businesses. Because one of the problems I have, I was thinking about starting a Bitcoin fund. And one of the problems I realized is like, we don't have enough investable businesses in Bitcoin and in Lightning. So if you are just like looking for like early stage shit, hit me up. It's just American HODL on Telegram. And uh, I'm going to get it going. And if either of you two want to be in on it, let me know. Look at you being all serious. Got to get it going, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I good. like it. That's, I keep, that's cool. I keep having to, I keep having exactly. the VC crowd hit me up, but I'm not sure what to do. I, I'm, I'm not designed to make money. I'm designed to think about crazy shit. No, come in with me. I need you. I need you. We'll, do it. Yeah, you we'll just drop the... acid and we'll work out the terms of the deal. That sounds like a sweet accelerator, actually. Well, we need, um, we need a fucking accelerator. Like, we really do. Like, in Bitcoin, we need an incubator. We don't have... I, there's so many young, talented Bitcoiners, like, core contributors, everything, like, Lightning guys. There's so many of them, and there's not enough capital going to them, and there's so much capital going to bullshit, and it's fucking annoying. And so we have to raise the funds and make sure they get funneled to the right direction, essentially. Do you, think, do you think it'll have that model, or it's more like... People just start working on shit. They they tweet out like, "Yo, I built this thing. Who wants to, to to be in on it?" And everyone just like anyone who wants to be in just goes for it. Listen, I mean, that's the, how it's been. Up. I, I that's guess how it's been up to this point. And if I'm being totally honest, we've been getting our ass kicked by shit corners straight up. So we need we need to fund some more projects. You know I mean, that's why I'm heading in this direction. Right. And uh, we'll see if it works mm -hmm. out. If it doesn't work out, at least I'll lose capital in a noble cause noble enterprise I, I really like the idea of an accelerator like i you know yeah. the retreat thing i'm building out here like i like this is part of why i want to do it is i just want to be surrounded by like-minded people who want to like Same. do well not just do drugs but like to try to hold space <laughs> and, and be creative together because like that's ultimately what it's all about we'll call but, yeah, it i think getting hardcore combinator. bitcoiners <laughs> it's a why um but yeah, it's a good idea and it's necessary. Um, I think so. I think I'm so. like, like Hoddle, like, don't worry about the shit coining. Like the, this stuff, it's going to, it's going to do what it's going to no, do. I know. I'll burn out in five years here, you know? It's inevitable, but I'd like to see more Bitcoin businesses, you know? I think there should have been more at this point. And I think we're getting some of our intellectual capital and our actual capital siphoned from us for things that are absolute bullshit. And like, the Bitcoin building will happen in the bear market for sure. And then the next time these shit coiners come around with their bullshit, we'll be ready. Uh, you know what the next bubble is going to be? I can, I can tell it to you now. Identity. The next big bubble, two, three, four years from now, will be all around identity solutions. You can see uh, the writing is on the wall already. What do you, what do you mean? Yeah, you're right. You know, there's going to be a, a million different idiotic versions of what an identity token is or like, you know, it's dude. You can just tell they're they're starting to. Bitcoiners love to coalesce around a word, and then use every possible vector in which to bilk retail investors out of their money. So it's like the metaverse, NFTs. Everything is an NFT, don't you know? Like, dude, it's 
it's so aggravating well, sounds in, horrible in the metaverse <laughs> you'll get to own you'll get to own your identity of your avatar and it's gonna be hilarious because like people like people are gonna get hacked and like their avatar is gonna be taken over yeah. and, like their avatar is gonna go around scamming <laughs> scamming all their friends and family hey john I'm like john i'm like missing my wallet the how's your trade like, how's your trade going hey eric how's your trade going yeah it's gonna be like that Oh man, John, I'm, a, I'm, so a many I'm a sexy Asian woman. I'm a sexy Asian woman. Tell like, me, uh, tell me, crypto. Doing like versions of digital slavery with each other, where it's like, hey, I'm an 18 year old NBA player. I'm going to sell my productive output into the market at X Y Z, and you can buy a, a piece of my future expected value right now for you know, blah blah blah. Is we all this sorts is of dumb shit. Just, like that. It's so horrible. I <laughs> want it to stop. Yeah, <laughs> like this on the headset. You've, you've chosen to ignore, and I've chosen to fight. I like to fight these fuckers. <laughs> Within so. five years, we're gonna have people that have jobs that are going to be stocking retail storefronts in the metaverse. Like they, this is all. This is gonna get so bad and dark. It's no. It's, this is true. Like Taco I think it's Bell really already, funny because like Taco Bell already bought like land in the metaverse or something. Like they're planning to have a digital Taco Bell. You're literally killing my buzz, so I'm gonna shut this it's thing down. So <laughs> All right, man. Boys, always a pleasure. Very therapeutic as as usual. And uh, Merry Christmas. Indeed. Love you guys. I'll talk to you again soon. Merry Christmas as well, John. You guys be well. Hoddle, always great to Time see to you. Time to go all in on Mongoose Coin. You guys know how it goes. <laughs> Shout out, Brad. Thank you. <laughs> to the goose. All right, boys. Later. To the goose.